hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, good day, mate! We're doing Australia this week, right? No, you, you missed that one. Oh. Okay, all right, well, hey, how are you, Aaron? We're, we're doing we're doing Japan this week. Mm, okay, yeah, the land of the rising sun. Exactly that, yes. <laughs> but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, however... Um, it's, uh, as we call it around these parts, spooky season slash spooky October slash October slash Fogtober. Um, all of those things now. <laughs> and, uh, during this time of the year, we like to have these special bonus horror themed episodes where we go over various aspects of the horror genre. And this year we've gone, we've got international, uh, so far we've covered as Abe has alluded to Australia and we've also talked South Korea this mm-hmm. week. We are. In fact, talking Japan and joining Abe and myself to discuss J- Japanese horror we have from the man, the Brandon Peters show in Wise Blue. Recorded video of this episode on a haunted 4K ruler player. It's Brandon Peters. Como estas, Aaron? <laughs> Bien, usted? That's <laughs> Also joining us from Cal State Fullerton. He cut all of his long, stringy black hair beforehand to do this episode. It's Professor Mike Villain. What's happening? <laughs> Mike, I think that you look better with the long hair, though. I did. <laughs> unkempt just covering the Didn't face that, <laughs> glad to have you both here how are you guys doing this evening good good instead of csc <laughs> well good i i am looking forward to talking about this uh this particular uh area of horror um just because there's a lot of films that i was able to watch that i haven't seen before that i've always wanted to see and um yeah i want to hear you know more of what you guys have to say about this as well brandon i'm, I'm certainly uh curious as to your uh thoughts on on some of the films we're going to be talking about and mike uh from my notes i i i can see uh you, you've apparently never put the word japan and horror together in a sentence before let alone know much about this particular genre so i'm uh, i'm curious uh, oh. where you're gonna land in all of this i'm completely at sea this is japan <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that island nation i think it's that... pronounced japan, japan right oh japan oh wasn't there a war there was yeah there's a lot of them yeah. Yeah, I'm ending with a blast. I am mildly jesting, Mike. I believe you uh, have uh, quite the history with Japanese horror, if I'm not mistaken. I'm actually a J- Japanese film historian. Wow! And I'm published on Japanese horror and Japanese exploitation films, particularly uh-huh. the yakuza films from the 50s onwards. So, um, quite at home tonight. Almost sure. as if we planned it that way. Almost. Almost. Almost as if I insisted. I'm like, dude, <laughs> Australia, fuck off. I can I can see the text now. It's dude with a lot of U's. Dude, get me on. I'm just going to say my titles and then l- allow you to speak for them. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> well, like let's... my God. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Let's uh, let's talk about. Japanese horror before we get to the kind of the as we've been doing on this show we we kind of pick individual films we'd like to talk about and address in various ways and have a conversation but before we get into all that I figured we can talk a bit about uh Japanese horror in in a more general sense 
And I feel like rather than me just kind of scrawling through the notes that I've taken to kind of go over the history of Japanese horror in the next 10 minutes, uh, I might lean on you, Mike, a little bit here. Um, compared to something like South Korea, where horror really didn't take off until much later into the year, into the, the 20th century, Japan horror, like, it certainly it got, it got an earlier start, per se. Like, it's, I'm looking at, like, like, the 40s, I feel like, is where things really kind of started to kick off. Am I mistaken there? Or? Um, not necessarily. So there's never been a period of Japan's like hundred plus year history of cinema that hasn't been producing interesting horror. Okay. There's certain waves and subgenres like the kaiju genre emerges at a certain time after the war, things like that. But sort of like creepy folkloric ghost stories have always been part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then because it's such a commercial cinema as well, um, the last several decades has been a lot of IP based stuff, adaptations of manga works and, and anime works, things like that. But yeah, there, there's always been stuff. There hasn't been a period that didn't produce at least some spate of good or interesting films, though. Ironically, it's kind of in a downturn right now. Um, mainstream horror is at least digital filmmaking has made it possible for there to be some really out there stuff, um, not just in horror, obviously, but studio horror has been kind of weak as of late. The last major uh, wave was the quote unquote J horror phase. And that was about 20 years ago now. I just ask you, uh, since you are more astute and knowing on that, like did, calling it J-horror, was that like, a, oh, come on, guys, let's not do that? Or was that like kosher or something for them over there? No, I, I really don't like the term J-horror generally. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of silly. It's, it's kind of this patronizing catch-all term. Right. Yeah. I mentioned this when we did Korea, uh, but there's there's always a need to keep in mind sort of what films become popular over here but are not necessarily reflective of what people are actually watching in Japan in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, these films, the, the the availability of certain types of films are more the product of like festivals and critics acting as gatekeepers. And so where I object to the term J-horror about 20 years ago when there was this boom is that there was this discourse around it, which is that, well, American films are all about uh, violence and gore and shock value, but Asian horror films are about restraint and slow tension and and the creepy factor. And because what some Zen principles or some shit, like you know, it's it's entirely about cherry picking a selection of films that conform to prevailing, sorry to say it, kind of Orientalist ideas about Japanese art. And then of course, when you get Battle Royale or films by Mika or something who are definitely working in horror that doesn't fall neatly into that marketing designation, right? And so you invent another one called Asia Extreme mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. at its own thing. And what, what results is this really arbitrary and superficial fracturing of any ability to view um, horror fiction out of Japan as part of a coherent whole or representative of larger trends happening in Japanese cinema. So, you know, it, it's it's problematic. Yeah, you don't hear the term, J- you don't hear similarly placed in other areas. You don't get F horror for French horror or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a horror. Yeah. I mean, you get, I mean, a- this is the, the thing I'm, the objection I'm addressing is kind of similar elsewhere because you do get K horror, Korean mm-hmm. films, and then you don't get F horror with France, but you did get that, the new French extreme. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. yeah, that's... was a thing in the 2000s as well. Canadi- so, Canadian horror. I just hate lazy monikers is more my thing. Right. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. It was like J horror and there was no getting around it back then. It was it's, like, it's why I'm glad like Japanimation never took off. Well, like um, I feel like J horror was essentially the ring and anything like the ring. That was like, 
right yeah this, <laughs> and we'll get into that for sure like there's certainly like a bottle that it falls into as far as the yeah. like like you're saying like as far as like the tone and the feel of specific films within j-horror compared mm-hmm. but even though you have films at this that are coming out at the same time that certainly don't adopt the trends that seems to want to be associated with those terms and so i mean some of the things people point out and identify um as common factors and when they notice trends it's not that they're incorrect it's that this sort of curation and marketing kind of it it often invites assertions by people who feel as though they know certain things about japanese horror because they've noticed similarities between a handful of films without stopping to consider that these films were assembled and curated precisely because they could be marketed in conjunction with each other right so there's a lot of cherry going on that's kind of sort of uh creating this myopia i think and that's true of any national cinema really sure yeah i i did try to go through like the timeline of, of you know just in general and then looking at like the horror films of suit that seem to be more prevalent during those times and like brandon we've done that with american horror mm-hmm. and you know we've had whole episodes devoted to the various decades where with japan like i do see like 40s certainly you know you know into the 50s following the bombings like radiation nuclear age things like that that led to the kaiju genre for one thing but in, in general just like mutations and things like that that certainly became more prevalent for obvious reasons that, that even like vengeful ghost stuff started mm-hmm. to emerge in that period in the 50s it kept going it's the 80s when i was kind of matching up films and looking at stuff where like more psychological horror seemed to be taking hold to a degree and then yes we get to the late 90s 2000s where whatever you want to call it but j-horror the was certainly the adopted phrase in terms of describing a lot of these films and like you're saying now yeah it's like there's less of an impactful realm it seems like haunted house stuff seems to be kind of fairly prevalent zombies picked up in 2000s and then kind of kept going as well um in japan specifically along with other places um Mm -hmm. yeah just to add something to it in the 80s you do get a sort of move away from the kind of slasher films that are popular in american horror toward more psychological stuff but there's actually kind of a splintering that goes on because um, the prevalence of home video and like VHS dubbing and that kind of like underground uh, uh-huh. circulates. The same thing was going on in England right during the video nasties period. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Japanese studio filmmaking turns more psychological horror, but there's also this sort of underground of independent yeah. horror filmmaking. Um, perhaps most famously, the guinea pig series that are just like super, super gory, gonzo, quasi snuff films that that are, you know, of course not snuff for real, mm-hmm. but um, there's that stuff going on. And then what happens sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s is that this is more reflective of um, globalization. Mm-hmm. This is the period in which Japanese pop culture media from, from Pokemon to Sailor Moon to everything under the sun is in such high demand that horror kind of enters into that uh, as well. And so what's interesting is that that sort of J-horror boom is much more reflective of sort of transnational appetite for Japanese stuff than anything really going on that's coherent in Japan. And it, to a point when the J-horror boom was at its sort of zenith, you know, there were eight, not just Japan, but of course, Korea, China, Thailand, there were Hollywood studios financing the original Asian horror films so that they could then buy up the remake rights and say, this is remade from a from a Japanese or an Asian mm-hmm. horror film because adapted from an Asian horror film was itself such a marketing uh, right. a, a, a boom for them. So that's kind of how, quote unquote, bad it got at one point in the 2000s. 
Yeah. It's not necessarily film related, but certainly connected to what we're talking about. Video games um, <clears throat> picked up horror as well. And I mean, you have a Resident Evil, obviously, but things like Silent Hill, Ghost House, yeah. Fatal Frame, um, Castlevania, even to mm-hmm. an extent. Like there's a lot, there's certainly a, a popularity there as far as more horror themed video gaming going on that's stemming from Japan. And I, I do wonder what the what the what the like the cause there is if it's if it's something that like they see in america and they bring it over here via gaming or if it's a vice versa thing but and you look at something like resident evil which is clearly paying homage to a lot of different you know american type horror films that i don't know the genesis of that has always been curious about as far as why it became such a fairly prevalent thing for studios like konami and what have you Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know enough about the gaming industry other than you're you're accurate that there's always this sort of cultural ping-ponging going back and forth I mean, these are Japanese IPs, but they draw so much from American media and and horror iconography, right? So it's kind of hard to put a pin in that kind of what I know someone has called cross pollination, yeah. where it's just the two are just kind of feeding off each other. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Well, um, they also make those games with the intent that it's going to go overseas too. Yes, so yeah. probably there's probably a draw for that. Yeah, for sure. But at the time they're making Resident Evil, zombies are nowhere in the popularity scale. Exactly. Like Resident Evil. Kind of an interesting. Resident Evil, if anything, is. 798. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's that like mid 90s period. It's like, if anything, that's the one thing that might be keeping zombies afloat during that time before. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. Because. Yeah. If you get a new zombie movie in the United States in the two, in nine, in the 90s, it's probably rare and straight to video um yeah. like i mean one of the big titles like i got excited for in the night was return of the living dead three mm-hmm. um that was like the best you know a horror fan could get in terms of a new zombie film uh in terms of like quality and stuff too but so thank god for the master of unlocking chris redfield yeah know. did they ever did they ever um did they ever block a lot of the uh how was their censorship in the 80s with horror were they blocking a lot of like Fulci and Argento stuff because maybe those floodgates opened in the 90s for them and they were like oh look at this and that's where the zombie love came from I don't know that it tracks with the sort of zombie love and in fact Mm -hmm. the the popularity of Resident Evil I think might not reflect the sort of appetite around zombie films so much as it was like the flagship game of a new gaming console, the PlayStation. Sure, yeah. yeah. Right? And so it just became synonymous with just the, the the branding of it, right? So you get another Resident Evil game. So I don't, I, I don't know that that automatically means that there was something in, in the air that was... Uh, that but even was... outside of zombies and video games, like what Brandon's asking, is like, is there was there ever a period where Japan was like limiting the amount of exposure from other countries for horror like the uk was and stuff like that so uh okay so not quite the same way there was a real flashpoint in 1989 maybe Mm -hmm. 89 um there was a i mean one point of comparison might be like the columbine massacre here in terms of not not the school shooting part of it but the cultural overreaction to like almost is it because they were listening to Marilyn Manson? Is it because right. they saw the Matrix? You know, there was something awful that happened. There was a serial killer uh, who abducted and um, raped and mutilated four little girls. Hmm. Uh, well, that's terrible. Terrible. And when the police finally caught him and raided his apartment, it was filled with like bootleg VHS tapes and uh, movies okay. and, uh, you know pedophilic manga and things like that and so there's a phrase you can google it it's called the otaku panic it's like mm-hmm. oh he's otaku. he's like this uh, anime and horror nerd splatter film slasher films 
And therefore he must have been influenced by this stuff and it, it drove him crazy. And so there was just a real clamp down on, are we going to have to start censoring this type of stuff? If you know someone who just prefers to kind of stay at home in his basement and consume violent anime, are they dangerous? Are they a menace to society? Mm -hmm. So that was a huge, huge sort of moment um, with mm -hmm. regard to sort of questions around, do we start censoring things? Um, but I don't, nothing sort of, really all that official came down as a result of it. It was just something kind of in the air that people were concerned about. But there's that other event from 1989 when, when uh, Godzilla battled Biollante and they started coming <laughs> down on a cross-pollination between roses and Godzilla's. But, uh, you know, yeah. I assume that's why Little Shop of Horrors never took off the way we yeah, all hoped really it would. careful of those things. Yeah. That's about environmentalism, though. So it's... Uh... Which is still plaguing Japan to this day. <laughs> Which is still plaguing the entire world, Aaron. What are you talking about? I mean, 311... <laughs> <laughs> um, all right um, so well thank you Mike you know filling in some 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 thoughts there on you know where we are with Japanese horror and what have you and I feel like with so many films that we can be talking about we might as well get into what we've actually chosen uh, for this process so we can kind of start being a little less vague about the movies um, because I'm just excited to talk about a lot of movies right now um, <laughs> with with all of that said Brandon I'm going to start with yeah. you uh, oh, what's what's the three, uh, three for three? I try to I try to keep something. I, I try to keep it familiar it's for the that listeners. Consistency. Yeah. Like so, I so bet Brandon is starting this week again. So the, so the listeners are like, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> Understand? <laughs> what's what's the first film on your list? Uh, I think we should talk about um, House oh, from nineteen seventy seven. I'm glad somebody chose House. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, I was like, this is this has to be talked about. So, um. Uh, is it Nobuhiku Obayashi? Is that the director? Did I murder it? You got it. That's good. All right. You're on the right track there. White United States guy pronounced it. It's close to correct. So, okay. Um, a schoolgirl and her six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home, which turns out to be haunted. Now, this thing. <laughs> Have you seen this before? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I want to point out that. Even if you're not into horror, <laughs> you should check this out. If you're into like, I don't know, if you're if you're a, a film nut, just in general, like you you like process and stuff, uh, you should see this movie. This if you is like a '60s game shows. You should see this movie, <laughs> right? This is a masterwork <laughs> of camera tricks, of editing, of visuals. It. It's eye candy. Like you don't even need to care what's going on a lot of the time. But yeah, there's these girls. They go to the the, the aunt's house and like weird weird shit starts happening to them. Uh, these girls all have weird names like Kung Fu and Professor or whatever. Um, have you seen this, Abe? No, I haven't. Oh, my oh gosh. Abe, you yeah. love this. Hey, I, mean, I love the poster. I'm it's just, yeah. it's too much. It's too much nuts to not enjoy this movie. It's too much nuts. Like I don't want to like. I want listeners to see this movie because you can you can find it pretty readily available streaming. I believe it's on Max currently. Okay. Uh, there's a Criterion edition of it. It's a fan. Uh, it seems like a fan favorite in the Criterion crowd. And like I'm that, surprised like... that they haven't put it for 4K yet. I know they've been trying to have a much more international focus uh, with the releases. And I'm surprised that wasn't instant with it because it's a, a movie that maybe they have problems with the negatives or something for the movie. Um 
4K and stuff. But this thing is bright, colorful, bloody sometimes, spooky. It has a genuinely spooky uh, looks to it. it. It kind of has um, parts that feel like, and I'm just coming from a week at amusement parks or uh, theme parks, but it has like cool like sets that feel like the uh, like you're waiting in line for an awesome ride somewhere at times as well. Um, but it's it's I, yeah, it's just really weird. Uh, you you you're never gonna guess where it's going, um, for any scenario, uh, and I don't I don't know like it I it, it's and all its stylistic, uh, endeavors in it are just wildly different as well. There's not one. There's not one like true aesthetic to the whole movie from set to set from like the vibe of a dramatic scene to the, the way the horror is shot gore wise, lighting wise, cobwebs in a corner wise. Um, this gets sort of animated at times. There's monster stuff. There's not, uh, there, it's from 77 there's about as many scene transitions as there are in star wars like it's yeah when the thing but i mean yeah this <laughs> i might watch just... this tonight brandon you're really selling no me. you got it it's like, only every... like 80 minutes like it's not a hard watch <laughs> those of you like i mean seriously like if you want like pop an edible for this because you're gonna have a great time like <laughs> oh, okay. it is it's awesome like i i just really like i think on a core level this thing hits such good technical impressive technical beats everywhere that if you just if you just love the art of filmmaking, uh, or you like super art house stuff, this is this is this is right in your wheelhouse. Um, I like this is almost it's like almost uncategorical with horror. I guess it's a haunted house movie, right? But it's just everywhere and everything, and it's it's a delight. Like like I always I I've only seen this a couple times. I should see it more, but I also like that I hang it up for a while and then come back to it. And I'm just as surprised every time. Cause Great. I forget little things about it, but uh, that's house from uh, 1977. Brandon, um, when did you first see this? Not the Hugh Laurie one. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was probably the early 2010s. So it like came out on criterion okay. and I was like, what is house? Like what? Yeah, so a while ago and you're and still got, revisiting it. It, it. And it came like, it was like a hype behind it. Like uh, when it came out and it's got this big orange cover with what is a cat. I didn't know it was a cat till I saw till I'd seen the movie um before, but um yeah. Um yeah, I, I don't know where to go other than I'm, with, I'm my saying, gen- with my generic right? adjectives trying to <laughs> hint to people what kind of thing they're getting into. I'm the same as you as far as when I saw this movie. When it came out on Blu-ray, I was very aware of it, but I hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, let me get this and see where it's going mm-hmm. on. And it's it is very fun. I'm, I don't need to expand too much more because you put it already out there as far as what this movie is and why it's as entertaining as it is i will say i did use it as a chaser knowing the movie already when i was watching other horror movies that i watched for this episode Mm -hmm. because it's far less intense than some of the movies i watched and i was like i I know i have house in my back pocket to watch to like calm me down mentally (laughs) (laughs) after i watched some of of these other ones but uh mike i'm curious if you have any uh, additional thoughts on on house well yeah definitely recommend i mean it's it's a baffling movie it's a movie you experience more than yeah watch right but, but, that's but a cool line. selling point well so along those lines um if it's on max or if, if it's readily available go check it out for sure but if you live in a major city it might be worth holding off long enough because places like la every now and then they will do sort of midnight uh-huh. screening yeah Mike yeah. is yeah this is a movie that's fun to watch with a crowd yeah everybody throws cats at the screen oh. it's great 
And what if you have allergies, Aaron? Jeez. I, Mike, I'm curious. Are there, because I, if there are, I doubt they're on any of our lists. Are there films that you would say are very similar to, to Hauzu? There, it certainly seems like a one of a kind kind of movie. That's why I'm asking if there's anything that's like that you directly link to this movie. There are films that that come out in in that in that decade or that era that are also kind of weirdly experimental and maybe tonally kind of similar. But I can't think of one that that that's that out there in terms of just uh-huh. this, this wall to wall baffling aesthetic choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, this one. Yeah, this one is. Um, stands out and has been embraced uh, by Western audiences as being kind of unique, probably, I think more or less for good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah. I, I don't think it's ironic. The reason people like it. Yeah. No, I think there's a general yeah. affection for what's going, cause it's so ambitious and what it's doing. It's just what it's doing is, you know, bug nuts crazy. So yeah, is it, is it more a United States esque love or do they in Japan? Well, cause it was it a, quite popular as well. Like it certainly has a following now, but like when it came yeah. out, it was, not well reviewed and i don't imagine it made a ton of money so it certainly no. like found an audience over time i mean the japanese film industry takes so many cues from the west and by the west i mean hollywood specifically so right, i right. i don't actually know and i'd be curious to know because this did have a resurgence in japan a- a- among sort of a niche group cult audiences and cinephiles mm-hmm. but i'm not clear whether that resurgence was a result of its popularity and like a, a dvd press in the states which then kind of ping-ponged back, to use that earlier phrase, that would be kind of interesting. Um, but to the earlier question, yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's some really weird, um, strange movies uh, around that time. I don't want to stop dropping, start dropping titles because maybe they'll come up later. But that's fine. Yeah, they're not quite as like wall-to-wall bonkers, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Mike, let's go to you. What's the first film on your list? Um, all right, let me. Oh, no. so get your reams Legal out. Legal pad. I <laughs> yeah. I was struggling with this because I didn't want to pick something so obvious, but at the same time, we're talking about Japan. We need to cover some anime. So as obvious as this is, I wanted to start with Perfect Blue. Take yeah. I, had that, I have that on my list as well. Yeah, that's on yeah. my list. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's a 1997 directed by Satoshi Kong. I mean, so in my view, Satoshi Kon is maybe the greatest auteur of Japanese animation. Hmm. Um, he passed away maybe a decade ago, but so it, it's as much about endorsing the director as it is about the film. But so, so, so I mean, correct me if I miss anything because it's been a while since I've seen it. But it's about a young woman who's a member of a like kind of a generic bubblegum pop band who wants to change careers uh, by leaving the band and pursuing acting and gradually begins to lose her mind and her sense of reality over the pressure she feels from her management as well as from her fans um oh she she has a stalker i probably should have lived with that Mm -hmm. um yeah so i mean satoshi kon's films generally are about people whose line between reality and fantasy become blurred in really psychologically damaging ways and threatening ways um particularly among women who feel compelled, all of his films, they feel compelled to adopt sort of different realities in order to meet the demands and pressures being put on her by the men in her life um, or, or her profession. And I should note that's that's a point of criticism for a lot of people. People criticize this director for, since he's a male director, um, often telling these stories about female trauma. So some people kind of take issue with that. And, and this film in particular has a really infamous scene 
in which the main character consents to filming a rape scene in a film mm -hmm. that's uh, uh, trying out for. And we get this prolonged sequence during the film shoot. And it's it's interesting because it's um it's all very clearly simulated and she's not in any real danger. But at the same time, the whole thing is so grotesque and uncomfortable that it's clear there's at least some level of violation going on. Um, if if you guys think that's fair, well, there's a there's there's a moment in there where the guy that's doing the act apologizes to her during. Between, like, yes, yeah, yeah, he's like, I'm I'm sorry, sorry about this. There's, yeah, there's a kind of a there's a there's a an awareness for sure taking place. It's like it's a it's a interestingly animated. You know, you don't see this in animated films very right? like the kind of you know the filmmaking process being drawn before you essentially, and it's like it's interesting to watch what could easily take place in a live action film being taken place here. And it feels so authentic to what that reality probably could be, even if it's still not handled in the way that you'd probably see it handled in today's times when it comes to filming scenes like this. And if you watch or rewatch this scene, there's a lot of sort of, you know, shots, so to speak, of the monitors watching the action. And so there's always this sort of distancing between the sort of the mediation of these things. So is this really happening or is this some kind of media thing that we're all participating in? And those blurs uh, make this a really crucial scene for the film. It's also because it's so intense. It's kind of the crux of complaints against the director and, you know, charges that he can be problematic at times. Anyway, so it's a psychological horror thriller in the vein of serial killer films that were popular and in vogue in the 90s. But it takes full advantage of the medium of animation to explore and warp the character's realities. Um so it's a it's a very powerful and interesting film. It's also one that a lot of Western filmmakers point to, um, or, or so like Aronofsky cites this movie really heavily in his work, notably uh, Black Swan. Um, 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 Paprika is another film by the same director, which Nolan borrows really liberally from for uh, Inception. So you know if, if people are interested in where some of these iconic moments from their films come from, then. Satoshi Kong is worth looking at. Um, I know with Black Swan, it was certainly a point of contention because there was a lot of debate with Aronofsky about how influenced he felt Black Swan actually was to the point of him, I believe, at some point denying that he had even seen uh, Perfect Blue uh, before making Black Swan. Regardless, like having seen both films, I mean, yeah, you can clearly you can see some connections that, that the films diverge pretty easily as far as what's going <laughs> on in them. But I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's there. Also He's also been citing Perfect Blue since at least Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, so, which is like mm -hmm. a weird, <laughs> like I don't know, it's like what his attitude is about this movie. It uh, makes him want to like act like it didn't mean anything to him. But yeah. yeah, I also want to put Perfect Blue in context, right? Because uh, as I said earlier, this is around the time that people in the West were really starting to gobble up Japanese pop culture, most notably in the form of anime. And so this is one of several films that people point to, including Akira, including Ghost in the Shell, that sort of prove a point they were making which is that Japanese animation has a level of maturity and sophistication that you don't get or that you at least don't associate with animation in the states which is kind of viewed as cartoons aimed for kids right and so this is one of a series of films that had people pointing going like damn Japan's J Japanese cartoons are doing something different so it's significant for for those reasons as well so I had seen this film, I'd seen this film before in general, and I, revis I revisited this past week, just hasn't watched it in a while. Um, and it certainly has its same I don't know, power, whatever you want to describe to it. It's a very, it's a very affecting film watching it and seeing the, you know, what she's going through and the violence that comes into play and what have you. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, Brandon, have you seen Perfect Blue before? 
Yeah, I I had a, I reviewed a Blu-ray for it. Um, oh yeah, yeah, many years ago. Um, but yeah, I I <laughs> I'd point it as a uh uh what if Selena as a horror movie, um, kind of with uh how this one goes about and um this this the believe that you uh mentioned earlier what she was doing like i i got the impression she was pressured out of being a pop star into the acting by some form of her management like she did not want to she wanted to do both and they wouldn't let her and so that was kind of her stress through it um and then um the one scene that when you're pointing out um the the <laughs> television or movie or the TV show she was on and she was being there the rape scene that they're filming and when you mention that I'm thinking about how this movie resolves and that might the way it's shown might be the perspective of a certain character watching it that's that's there that plays a part later that maybe how they they see it even though the whole set and stuff kind of looks safe but I was and, just and given the way the film's playing would. The, the, the way the film's playing with like the mental state of the main mm-hmm. character and things that evolve as the film goes on. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly things you can read into as far as what is reality, what isn't right. It's also got a, a whole, uh, what is the internet type thing going on too. And I thought it was really weird that like someone is in this movie is making a website uh, that's dedicated to her, but also acting as if it's her putting stuff up the stalker guy in it. Right. Right. Is, which is like you guys aren't gonna do anything about that or try to trace where that's coming. Like it felt kind of like, oh well, that's what they do. It's a it's a fan. Yeah, it's weirdly ahead of its time in that way too, because those were like the early days of like toxic internet fan communities, which mm-hmm. we just take take as as a given now. But mm-hmm. that that sort of early, there's a couple other films that I suspect are gonna get. Uh, uh, drop tonight that also deal with this question of like the the, the isolation and loneliness that comes with a technologized mm-hmm. technology society and the internet's role in, in producing that kind of fractured identity um but yeah 97 i mean th- those are kind of the earliest years in which we would have started to see those themes right and the movie also is like trying to declare the death of the pop star too like pop doing being a pop music stars apparently at this at this time in japan not a not a successful route while in the United States, we're about to hit the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Backstreet Boys and sync run of things. Well, I mean, there's always an appetite for these sort of generic girl band, boy band type mm-hmm. things. I mean, the thing is that, that there's a, there's a churning, right? They just come in right. quite expendable um, within the sort of the, the machine, right? Of mm-hmm. the so it, the, the movie's correct in that this sort of, young girl with no real education and who lives in a like a tiny little apartment could also have like a, a career as a legitimate pop star mm-hmm. movie does get that right but i think it it houses it within the sort of pressures of sort of a young attractive woman who is sort of at the at the at the mercy of all these kind of gross male producers who think well i know i know mm-hmm. where we can use her and i think right She's pressured into, I think she she was up for, again, forgive me, it's been a while since I've seen it, but she wants to pursue acting, but then the sort of scheming male management around her compel her to, or at least lobby her to, hey, why don't you try for a 
for a more expanded uh, part. It'll give you more publicity and exposure. Oh, it happens to be a rape scene, but right. but it'll be great for your career as if like, who, who the fuck are you? Um, well, to be fair, I mean, when that when it's brought up, the the her agent or her manager is is certainly objecting to the idea that for one thing, it's a female yeah. major manager. Um, but their objective is like, what? Like, no, this is not not what we're going for. And then she, whether it's of her own volition or because she just thinks it's the right move, she does accept the scene to begin, you know, to, to take on. But Exactly. Which is why that scene is like, well, is this consensual or is this a violation on some level? Like the layers of that sequence are really complicated and and almost implicate us. Right. Because we're the ones doing the watching and the the, the movie makes that really clear by filtering mm-hmm. everything camera lenses and monitors and things like that so yeah i i just appreciate the complexity of that scene because look at us we're having a debate about it Abe, have you seen perfect yeah. oh i have not seen it for a long long time okay yeah. uh, can, I, can i plug real quick um yes. since I'm on this director satosh kong he also did an anime series called paranoia agent yeah. which is a whole okay. series i've it's, heard of that it's superb yeah check it out it draws on a lot of similar themes too well, yeah, keep that in mind. Awesome. Um, well, hey, let's go to you. What's what's the first one on your list? Mike, I thought I would be the only one that would kind of go toward anime as well. And my first two, I'm going to go through the first one here, but my first two are kind of maybe a cheat. First one is Akira. This is a movie that I saw like way back when. Um, and everything that you talked about, Aaron, with like the the way that that uh, the, the decades have progressed. And then, Mike, I think you talked about it with just the way that... Um, uh, sort of like technology kind of like taking over things like Akira is a movie that scared me as a kid and it, it still has like thematic themes that I don't like today um, so it's like a Neo Tokyo the bombs have been dropped you're in like this weird phase of I guess like extraterrestrial beings I don't know what they would be called uh, except for that um, and they uh, have just a hold over a a young gentleman young teenager but I think the things that kind of scared me about this movie and why I would categorize it as maybe this horrific thing is it does speak a lot to, like, again, like this post-nuclear Japan and then also uh, some body horror that's mixed in. And I never liked that the element of their um, of their score because it has, like, a lot of, like, voices and it has a lot of uh, of, like, chanting. And I was like, this is not my favorite. And I saw this when I was, like, maybe, like, eight or nine like my brother was is uh, was in college at this time and he came home and he's like you guys got to watch akira and i was like sure anime he, he, he i love came home, I said uh-huh. he came home he slid in on his motorcycle and he held up a, a vhs exactly, yeah. in his hand yeah <laughs> hand-painted lights in the background uh, but, but yeah akira is one where I, I i don't i think a lot of people might categorize as like sci-fi or like again like a, a noir type film but it has it has some horrific elements to it too and again when i'm thinking about thematic things um, it does hit upon a lot of things that uh, we have talked about in the past here. Uh, so Akira, it's kind of like a cheat, but hey, uh, I I still I still haven't really seen it in full uh, for a long time. I'm like 30. I'm in my mid 30s now, so it's um, it, it's it certainly left quite an impression on me. And I don't like when his girlfriend gets like smushed. I was like, this is not fun to watch. <laughs> hmm. She was just trying to help. <laughs> I could respect the pick because yeah, the the body horror element is certainly present in that in that film, and it uh, yeah, it it it's probably why I don't revisit it too often. It's a lot... oh, you don't either. Okay, well, something something about like it's weird because like I'm happy with body horror in my live action movies. Yes, you know you do you do love me, Argento. Bring me <laughs> bring me some Cronenberg all day is what I say. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to like 
like heads because there's like because the your animation your your imagination runs wild in imagination it seems like it's so like heads getting smushed or like enlarged limbs yeah. and stuff it just feels like more grotesque to me and i like i feel like yeah. i feel that pain more than i feel i don't know whatever the hell vigo mortensen's going through and and uh crimes of the future like it just it hits it feels like it hits harder for some reason yeah i think uh, it's also because i care for these characters too you're like hey this kid was getting picked on and then now he's uh now he's got this weird supernatural power or science biological super uh, science power and it's just like what is happening here um yeah but the grotesqueness of it and also like i never understood why those uh it always it always weirded me out when those older looking alien dudes are dressed up in kids clothes because that always scared me, and I'm I'm always still scared now. Like if you're like an old man, like the uh, the body double stunt double for Millhouse in the Springfield uh, episode where they're filming um, Radioactive Man the movie. Go on. Like if you're if you're an old man like that <laughs> in kids' clothes, it scares me. <laughs> like what, what see... an impression this movie has left on me. So when there you, you see, when you see like viral videos of like an adult small person dressed as chucky on a subway chasing after people you're Don't just like not in, you're just not into well, that I'm, I'm ready i'm ready to i'm, I'm going not my uh, thing uh, yeah i'm going full fight mode have you guys seen that video of like that bus driver that that's kicking somebody out and they, all these people all these adults are standing outside the bus i'm like why why are you messing with this this child and and then it pans over it's like it's like this young this older man with like you know webster syndrome and you're just like oh webster this is syndrome. this is scary <laughs> webster syndrome i don't know what the name of the disease is called but yeah yeah jack uh so akira yeah anime uh my pick for uh one of the uh the horror movies of, of this month all right do you have five today i do all right whoa this someone's up to <laughs> scare guys. factors um mike any thoughts on akira akira is one of the greatest anime and japanese films ever Right. It's it's hard to overstate its significance aesthetically, but also it was it really was the first feature length anime film that kind of pierced through to Western audiences. Um, before that, you, you you had sort of niche people who like, hey, I'm into Japanese animation and they maybe screen stuff on college campuses. But Akira yeah. really was a was like a lightning bolt. Um, it's so good. And actually. If there's any interest, um, I don't know how good the um, English language translations are, but the manga that it's based on, which is huge, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's like it's, it's it's six like encyclopedia size volumes. Oh, wow! The, <laughs> the movie that you're referring to only covers the first two of the six wow. books, and the story keeps going. Um, is it still going now, or it's done? No, no, no. It's kind of a finite thing okay. um, that was done at the time. But here was a success, right? Oh yeah. Like Although, what? I, there, mm-hmm. yeah, there are there are people who are fans of the graphic novel who hate the anime because it it has to cut so much from it, right? It's sort of like imagine taking the entire Tolkien trilogy and condensing it into one two hour film, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna lose a lot. I ask because if it's if Akira is such an influential and successful movie, why is it not? And you're saying it only covers the first two. Why is it no? Why do we never get the the fall the follow ups the the you know the rest of the of right. the manga? So, so some of the manga hadn't been completed. So this is like kind of George R. R. Martin, right? Like the the that's the never stopped before. before. We could make that work. <laughs> work around that. So not, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure why. the The director's gone on to do some other really interesting cyberpunk things. Um, right. Gene Paul being one of the Wolf Brigade being an interesting one. Um, uh, 
no, he didn't actually do that one, but the, the, the influences have been sort of popping up in other okay. places. All right. But as for why, why no more Akira? I'm not, that's a good question. I'm not sure why okay. that is. I mean, Jordan Peele obviously loves Akira. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I could give you a montage of 70 different movies that love Akira. <laughs> like, it's not that <laughs> this is true, but I think everybody pointed out when uh, uh, there was like that bike slide in, um, in, in, in Nope, Nope, which is, yeah, because yeah. it's like the coolest fucking thing you can do with a motorcycle. <laughs> like, it's it's right. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> because Abe mentioned like seeing the girlfriend get smushed, like that shot yeah. is in uh, Nope all, as well. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. They're, 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 like, <laughs> all the, the spectators, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Between him and Josh Trank with Chronicle, there's plenty of Akira love going on in his yeah. <laughs> studio movies. Yeah. Um, well, Aaron, my, what about you? My first film, I'll tell you a story. Um, oh. My uncle tried to play a trick on me once. Um, I He put out a movie. Not to get really dark. No, not, no, not entirely. <laughs> it's in good faith because it doesn't have the ending that he, I think, would have desired. But he put out a movie, a Japanese film, uh, that he let me watch, um, where, like, it settled in, and I was like, okay. He he, he kind of gave me, like, the gist. It's like, yeah, it's about this, uh, this like, old, not an old man, but, like, a, you know, an adult man who's trying to, like, find a, find a wife. And so he stages a, uh, like, a reality-type show where they can watch these various uh, people trying out to be, like, go on dates with him and stuff like that. Um, I didn't, I, I watched a good portion of this, but not enough to get to where it was going. So I didn't realize what was going on. Mm. Later, I did find out that he was trying to have me watch audition without knowing what was going to happen. <laughs> 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 uh, the 1999 Takashi Miki film. Um, beca because of like my knowing of like where it was going to go i haven't i had i didn't i never sat down to watch audition for the longest time until this past week um because i just like even with all the horror i watched all the stuff i'm used to seeing something about the just the, the prospect of what i knew was going to happen was like too much for me to be like i need to watch audition mm -hmm. um so i used this week as an opportunity to finally sit down and watch me so i've seen other BAK films and i'm i'm pretty up and down in his movies i don't dislike i I don't disrespect him by any means. Well, he makes he's so like, many that you're going to have to be. He's made over a hundred movies and wow. like thirteen assassins fucking rules among other movies that I've seen. I'm not huge on Easy the Killer, which like a lot of people seem to be, or at least has seems like it has a following. But regardless, I've seen a number of his films. I just never watched Audition. So watching Audition now, which of course, you know, is the it gives up the game pretty quickly as far as where it's going. Like it's not it's not like the whole like you know leading up to like where it goes this is me discovering this like that it finds like oh and now now it's playing it's you know it's putting its cards on the table and showing you what it is it has a pretty eerie atmosphere after like a third of the movie ends mm -hmm. but like but regardless of all of this uh this movie's great like i don't know like I, I i mean it has a reputation it certainly has a following and it has yeah. its fandom so it's not like it's you know there's a hot take that i loved audition but i really I really liked this movie i i was very much into like what the story presented i think there's some even beyond the violent imagery, I think there's just some really interesting imagery leading up to things. Um, I feel like there's enough challenge in what to think about the lead female character in this film and why things happen the way they do and how they go about explaining it. Um, they're much like we talk about Perfect Blue. There's a kind of there's a a cerebral factor to what's taking place and the film again having watching it for the first time it 
it almost felt like it was going to cheat me out of something and then it doesn't and i'm like wow this movie's just putting me through the paces here and then when it gets to like it's big torture scene that it's largely known for it's really well done i mean it's very visceral um and it doesn't pull its punches necessarily like again it all it like it feels like it almost tries to and then it's like no we're not um i i really like this movie like this is the kind of thing where you hear so much about it and then you see it and you're like is this going to be all that i think it is and it was and maybe yeah. a little bit more mm-hmm. like I, I i was very appreciative of what Miyake uh yeah did here with this movie this movie is also on my list darren uh okay. it's gonna come later but this is a movie where we watched it in college like as like a floor uh and we were all just like what the fuck is happening here uh, and it was uh it, it was it had a lot of uh i guess uh underground traction underground noise and that's what kind of caught our our attention and also when you're in college you just have blazing fast internet so you're just getting all these movies uh, pretty quickly <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it it is I, I tend to think of it as like sort of like this perversion of like this Japanese culture that is like very tame and very like modest and very like um, prim and proper, at least outwardly. And I like this like weird like diversion into like the sick and twisted like the it, it, uh, it, there's a scene in Kill Bill that reminded me of this movie, too. It's it's when you're meeting Oren Ishii's uh, number one lieutenant uh-huh. um, and she's talking to the guy. And she's like, oh, you drive a Ferrari? And he's like, oh, you, you don't don't you like Ferraris? And she just like stabs him and like he dies like in front of her. She like devours uh, him. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. And she's just taking like, you know, such pleasure in killing this guy. But uh, that's, that's what reminds me of this, uh, this movie audition too. And again, it is like stomach churning at times. And it's just a weird, like it, it it's, it's very, um, I guess uh, I would say it's very uh, uh, what what's the word where like not tactile but like it certainly feels like I don't like you know what's gonna happen to this guy and and why she's getting out all this like string and what he's eating and stuff like that. There's like a lot of like weird like uh, sound that's mixed in here too, and I'm like, Ugh. my but, um, yeah, my my favorite shot in this movie is a uh, is before all that even happens. It's when the woman she when she's she's basically waiting by the phone for him to call her so he can get back and you just see her like hunched over with just her hair draping down and there's a yeah. bag in the corner yeah, and it yeah. just moves mm. all of a sudden i'm like yeah. where is this going yeah. was what is so, happening here? i was so th- just like and you sp- just spoke about the sound there's a sound in a midst that's just haunting him yeah. while she's just sitting there completely motionless like as if she's waiting to, as if she's like michael keaton and batman returns where he's just waiting to be activated by the bat signal she's waiting for the <laughs> bat signal <laughs> yeah, like, that's that's the impression yeah. i got of it but uh so well I, yeah I, I mean again like it also speaks like the loneliness too right so yeah, again for like, sure yeah. um a lot of uh, you see this in a lot of japanese anime that are not that are not um dark and twisted but a lot of people live in like you know single occupancy apartments and they they kind of just like go on with their daily lives and like yes this woman is here just like being a, a weirdo but also it's pretty accurate as to like almost like daily japanese life i'd say uh i don't have first-hand experience but you know just like living you know doing your thing and staying living by yourself uh, yeah uh, it's, it's kind of creepy on a lot of levels Brandon, you've shown uh, your first kid or both kids audition at this point. How's that going? Are you oh, it's, it's it's a family thing. We just sit around and watch. Very it. nice Christmas. Hey, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I. You know, it's funny with audition. Like I had seen it in college, yeah. um, but a younger age than I believe Abe would have been in college. But when I when I moved out to 
That's Los Angeles and was doing uh, DVD quality control testing. Uh, Lionsgate got the rights to it after I'd only been there like like a couple months, and we got the uncut version uh, from Lionsgate, and and nobody there had like seen it or been familiar with it. And uh, I was like, I'll, I passed. I'm like, you guys, you need to let people see it. And that thing went over like gangbusters in the yeah. office. There, it was like, oh my god, you got. You gotta do the next like pass on it. You gotta watch. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Like people are going nuts about this one. So and they they in po- in a positive way because I worked with a lot of people that weren't horror fans and mm-hmm. stuff, and they were they would complain about a lot of things. But this was one that was uh, effective, and they all they all pretty much enjoyed. They were like, oh my gosh, you guys, the audition, audition, audition. So and this was like 2005, even so it had been out for quite some time, but um. It showing up at the office and a bunch of people never have even heard of it before. I'm like, no, watch audition. <laughs> you you take that one, trust me. And it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to watch it. I was like, I want your reaction to it because you have no idea what what you're in for here. And they all pretty much they liked it. So another um just crazy thing to me is that when you look at May okay, we mentioned he's, he's directed over a hundred movies. One would think like, oh yeah, he's making movies since like the sixties or seventies. He only started in the nineties. Yeah, no, he, he, <laughs> he's not like he's not like he's an old filmmaker. <laughs> no. He he also, like he's an older one. He, yeah, he he just bats him around. Um Mike, are we all like crazy? Is this amateur hour for you when it comes to Mikey films or do you are you a fan of audition? Uh I'm not the biggest audition fan it's it's an important film for the kinds of sort of reputation of japanese media in the west um it kind of did for japan what old boy did for south korea like sure. this, it's, it's the inaugural film for this sort of asia extreme um audition also kick-started this sort of mika tarantino eli roth nexus that was uh-huh. sort of in vogue for a few years um I agree with you in terms of like that moment, right, where the bag suddenly starts moving is it's been a really long time since I've seen it. But I think that's the moment where the movie takes a like you realize that if you didn't already know you're watching a horror movie of some kind, like it's certainly like, by the way, guys, it's not all fun (laughs) and games here. (laughs) And the sound design is like it has a really generous sound design, particularly the uh, wire saw. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not great. Um, that, that scene is all all about sound. Um, that said, it, it's never a movie that did that much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, oddly enough, you know who also doesn't think all that highly about that movie is Mika himself. Hmm. Uh, oh. You can find interviews in which he talks about this movie as um, like he's really dismissive of its international success where he mm-hmm. he kind of shrugs and he's like yeah man I'm, i don't know why americans love it so much they're they're just weird i guess so, <laughs> i've i've heard a lot of what feels more like disdain for the the culture around it as far as like the commentary as far as debating of over like what the theme is or like what you know what's you know if there's a morality play here like what what like people are getting out of it that i feel like you got frustrated by just having that discourse to deal with with, with the, from what i was reading this because i was reading a lot about it after i watched it and that's that's the impression that i got quite possibly and the thing about mika is that he's an incredibly difficult director to pin down because sure <laughs> he's so prolific but it's not just that he's prolific he doesn't really seem to have any rhyme or reason over what kind of films he's making some uh-huh. of them are really trashy exploitation low budget things some of them are studio mainstream things that you would never ever assume was his unless you saw his name on the poster um so he just bounces back and forth between all kinds of disparate projects some that feel like 
you know, maybe auteur driven and personal and others that feel just like absolutely for hire. And so I think it's in that context, you have to understand that for all these interview requests and all these audiences who are like in love with audition. And he's going like, of all the films I do year after year after year, like what exactly is this outsized um, attention that this film gets? And I think in his mind, the attention is in excess of like whatever importance this movie had to him because he views it as just like a job. another one yeah well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. In, in this one and that one why are you guys so obsessed with uh, yeah it's like harrison ford being like i don't fucking care what hansel is doing after hours like i want to <laughs> talk about witness like i like whatever <laughs> so yeah i could i could understand that for sure when you're you know so you know you have so you've you've made 17 other projects you know within a couple months <laughs> um, it's like uh, yeah okay i cut a limb off i guess whatever um that said, I really like that edition. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, it was really effective. <laughs> as a as a grown man that's never seen it before, I was uh, won over by it and not just Did because... you did you call your uncle and be like, "I see what you were trying to do?" Um I you should. I I would if I could. But uh yeah, it um yeah. It 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 certainly it it worked for me. Yeah. Um Brandon Somehow we've only done one movie each so far. I know. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your next film? <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one, which I already mentioned in the South Korea episode, uh, Suicide Club from 2001. Um, okay. Written uh, written and directed by, you want to pronounce it, Mike? So I. Sono Xion. Sion Xion. All right. Um, he later, I mean, he has a movie, uh, he had a movie with some buzz maybe a decade ago called uh, Tag that seemed to. Just to, just to chime in, I am uh, two thirds of the way through Tag right now. I didn't finish it in time for this podcast. Okay, but, um, I'm okay. very much enjoying it. <laughs> gotcha. No, that was a fun one. Um, this is a, a detective trying to find a, the cause of a string of suicides. That's lightly putting it with the tagline. Um, but this is obvious. This one uh was notable and was the hook on it this was a this was a movie when i uh, back to college we passed around this thing in college because cool. it was mainly on the opening sequence of 54 uh japanese schoolgirls jump in front of a subway train and just blood splatter. yeah it's it's a it's a bloodbath um hmm. and there's just this string of suicides from kids happening all over japan uh, and they're like trying to figure out with it what's going on. There's like sometimes there'll be these bags delivered that have all these kids get this little piece of skin, this rectile piece of skin, uh, cut off, and they'll make this like long rope of skin tied together, uh, with the kids that'll appear. Also, uh, there's this like kid who called this this phone call to this detective. He keeps getting from this child that like clears his throat after every sentence he'd be like hello Aaron Newworth <laughs> are you talking are you are you worthy of blah 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 <laughs> and it, it keeps going and there's it's a, I, I put this in the experience category because this goes to okay. some some nutty ends and doesn't resolve a whole lot of stuff kind of uh, there is a another film that goes with this called Noriko's Dinner Table, which I think is a wonderful title. I don't know why. <laughs> it just sounds great. Same director. Um, same director. I I watched that one and I a long time ago because I, I like this movie. When that was coming out, I was like, I got to see this. Uh, I don't remember much from it, but it's like a prequel, sequel, and sequel all in one movie. Hmm. Um, 
but this movie gets into that area of the psychological police thriller we talked about with South Korea last yeah. time. Um, it's got, but it's got a lot of gore to it. Like the quotient of gore is much more than uh, the movies that talked about last week. Um, and where it goes with what's causing this is a bit nutty. There's a, there's a K there's like a pop group called dessert that is like fueling this maybe um kind of uh but like it's the ride is better than the destination i guess because the ride's okay uh the ride's pretty good um but i've always been kind of a, a pretty solid fan of this movie and this one I'll also give credit with uh it got me after seeing it like i got a kick on like international horror movies stuff like that especially japan watching this one i started picking up on other ones like uh there's there's some like i can't recall too much about the movie but like like stuff like versus picked up that uh uh, to watch um and just yeah kind of got the ball rolling on that uh Mm -hmm. and yeah uh it definitely definitely talked about uh tackles the loneliness factor and the suicide um factor of teens uh they're pressure high pressure society but it kind of comes off a bit watching it now as an adult i feel like it's the uh the old guy writing about what he thinks is the problem with the young kids kind of but um because you know they're not having a teen a suicidal teen write this uh but that that kind of comes off with like oh that's the problem you know the old guy Hmm. trying to have a thing on it but it's a very fascinating movie and one that i think is a you know it and i'm always the ride guy so i don't care if you stick a landing somewhat decent i'll be happy that your ride was awesome to get there mm-hmm. um and this is kind of in that category for me with that i've only seen a couple sonos i've seen tokyo tribe and um the nick cage with prisoners of the ghost land and it's a director mm-hmm. who i'm like i like the stand watching tag i'm certainly in the camp of like i seemed i certainly liking the style he's approaching with yeah. here so I, i'd be curious to see more of his films and yeah i know, I know suicide club is certainly on the list of like ones that get mentioned a lot associated with his name yeah i mean um, both open with his gleeful sort of massacring of high school girls yeah right, so yeah. like that's, that's mike all over the place right there <laughs> It's interesting to hear you, to hear Brendan kind of break it down that way, because my understanding, so this is kind of a cult film, and I think it's accurate to say that the the difference of opinion on this film generally falls between people who find it too ambiguous and too opaque Mm -hmm. um, by the end versus people who feel that that ambiguity is precisely the appeal, right? And I've always been in the former category. Um, Sonos films overall um, have been pretty hit and miss with me and um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because I think he's at his best when he's not trying to do teen angst Um, a lot of his films do cover that Um, Suicide Club is more of a detective film but uh, Noriko's Dinner Table is definitely about the sort of you know alienation and and people dealing with um, loneliness in the age of the internet things like that so it's much more of a psychodrama in a way um when he just kind of knocks it off and does something a bit more uh, deranged and genre heavy and not caught up in its own thematics, then he's really interesting. And so if you guys haven't seen a movie called Cold Fish, put that on your list. It's it's kind of a slasher film. It's really out there. Um, and then he also did probably my favorite thing he's done is a kind of a Yakuza 
bloody comedy, so it's not a horror film, but it's called Why Don't You Play in Hell? Is very, very title. It's very fun. It's about uh, filmmakers. They're trying to make a Yakuza film and get financing from actual Yakuza to do it. And, and think <laughs> it's, it's, right. uh, it's quite good. Okay. Keep those in mind. So what's next, Mike? Oh, I am next, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, hmm. All right. Since you introduced Mike, and really there's no there's no way of discussing this category of horror without addressing his work uh, in, in some way. So I'm going to go with Gozu from 2003. Does anyone know this one? No. Oh, check out this one. So it's about a, a low-level Yakuza who is tasked with killing one of his superiors during a road trip. The guy's kind of out of control. So they're like, hey, you got to get rid of this guy. And And he succeeds in doing so, but then the body goes missing and he gets stuck in this small in countryside in populated by all these weirdos and there's a whole lot of b- bizarre stuff that that happens and it would just take forever to list but it's it's a relentlessly weird and vulgar and deranged movie um i picked it i, I felt we needed to talk about mika and i i didn't want to do audition um but so where mika has been sort of dismissive of audition he really speaks fondly about this film Gozu. um like in his autobiography, he talks about it with a great deal of affection as sort of an almost important pivot point in his career because it's kind of after this movie that he starts doing increasingly more prestige cinema. Like, mm-hmm. so like Death of a Samurai is kind of an art film and 13 Assassins, you know, has the trappings of a studio film. Both are incredible movies. Um, so you kind of get the sense that he was in a bit of, bit of a rut and Gozu helped him kind of reinvent himself. So in terms of its value and... Um, of course, importance to his career goes is arguably kind of mid-tier, but it has an artistic significance to his canon that I think makes it one of the one of the special ones. And not to mention it's completely weird and unique and impossible to explain to people. I told mm-hmm. you like kind of vaguely what it's about, but I'm really just saying listing off shit that happens because like what's the movie actually about? I couldn't tell you. Um huh. you I'm to- seeing a still here of just like this animal head. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um Gozu means cow head. It's kind uh, of a minotaur type character. Yeah, yeah you guys are going to have to see this one for yourself. Um, no, I'm certainly interested. This, that's my kind, my kind of things going on here. It's also a really cool setup. Just like, hey, uh, body's missing, weird hotel. All right. Well, what's next? This next one is also kind of a cheat because it's actually not even a movie. Uh, this is another animated uh, thing, but it's an episode of Cowboy Bebop. It's the Pierrot Le Fou episode. Okay. And this is, it's like very deep in the Cowboy Bebop uh, series because it's like the 20th one. But it is a, a, a an episode that I'm very fond of because it's just very strange, but it's also very matter of fact. And what's spooky about it is like, it's about this, I guess, seemingly unkillable killer that is going after all these like Yakuza guys and I guess, quote unquote, bad people. Um, and the way that he got to how he was is because he was just tortured to watch and become like this amazing killer and the only thing that scares him is cats but he's just unstoppable and relentless in the way that he is uh trying to go after people including our our main character spike but what i really dig about it is that it's got really like strange horror vibes to it you know it's introduction to this character and then also the way that shadows work in this and uh obviously the action is very good but this is also a cheat because it's actually not even a movie it's only like 20 20 minutes long but it's very, very effective. 
It is. That's the one that's also like very visually inspired by Batman the animated series too. So it has oh, a very yeah, yeah, specifically it was channeling that with the animation and it's very moody and noirish and this use of shadow work and a lot of dark like it's a lot of it's set at night. There's an amusement yes. park at the end that is like the And final. if you watch it in English, it has Mark Hamill even. Is that true? <laughs> According to what I'm looking at, yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, no, I, I can I can see where you're coming from. Uh, with this one for sure like it there's between this and what is it toys in the attic which is like the alien riff episode for cowboy bebop oh i see yeah yeah, yeah. like they, it you know that's a show that likes to play with different genres and mess around with things um yeah and you know i, I can see where where horror comes into play with with, with episodes like that and yeah pierre lefou is certainly very haunting with the presence of this character and his laugh mm-hmm. and what yeah. he goes through at the end of this thing Yes, yeah, his menace and and again his uh his uh, uh clockwork orange style. How did he get here? Hmm. All right. Um, the next film that I have is quite on. Um, this is a 1964 anthology film. Director uh, Masaki Kobayashi uh, did uh, Harakiri, Samurai Rebellion, among other things. Um, I. I saw this a couple years ago because I was doing a episode of Battleship Potential where we're talking about anthology films. And this is one I discovered after the fact, or at least got the chance to watch after the fact. I didn't have a chance to revisit it because it's three hours. Um, and I just oh. didn't have the time to mm-hmm. watch all three hours of Quiet On again. But I do have it on Criterion. And um, there's four stories total. I wrote them down. There's The Black Hair, um, which is like a samurai leaves his wife for someone with more money. And then he decides to return to her um for reasons and things aren't um as he left them in a sort of uh magic beach type twist um <laughs> there's the woman of the snow where it's about this woodcutter he meets a woman who saves him but she makes him promise to like never talk about this this her saving him um and things happen from there there's hoichi and the earless it's about a, a musician who works in this ghostly imperial court and he's commanded to perform like an epic ballad or else um and then there's a in a cup of tea where this man keeps seeing like a mysterious face in in his cup of tea um these are all very effective and the other thing is this is one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen (laughs) like it is so (laughs) rich in its visuals and its use of color and just the filmmaking it's very just it's so just wonderful to watch it's such a thing to take it you know you have three hours you got plenty of time to do so Mm -hmm. and you know it's 1964 and it's about you know ghosts and stuff like it's like quite kind on means like what like ghost story i believe like strange story um it's it's yeah like so i i just want to step in it's pronounced kaidan kaidan okay yeah the w is there because of a sort of I think it's called like an archaic transliteration in the Hepburn style of of translating um, uh, uh, Japanese into English, but the W shouldn't be there. Um, so the word is kaidan. Um, the kai in kaidan, which means like scary or strange stories, is the same kai from kaiju, mm-hmm. which means strange beast. Oh. So that's kind of how you remember. But got it. Okay. That W there is is you know, it's it's deceptive. It's not to be pronounced because it's like because I, I saw that yeah there's. It's there to, that did remind me of like kaiju because of the word strange in the use, but like I'm like the Blu-ray and everything, it's spelled with the W. It's like, all right, but thank you. Now I know. Um, but as I was saying, yeah, the the film, like 
it is just cinematic as hell as far as what it's presenting out to you it's such it's not particularly like i wouldn't say it's particularly scary like you can get in the right mood you can feel creeped out by some of the imagery that's going on but like it's not you know it's it's a 60s japanese horror film it's not really gonna like you know boo at you um but instead you what you get in return is just taking in just spectacular imagery throughout there's like the third one i think which has like this which has like the whole courts like there's a big battle sequence that rivals like stuff that i've seen in modern blockbusters when it comes to like war movies like there's just so much Hmm. being presented here um that's absolutely worth seeking out uh, just taking the time to just take it all in i i um, was very happy to be able to you know catch this one when i did and it's it, it, you know it's one that really I, I really like anthology films quite a bit I, I like actively seeking them out when they come out that's why i like like the vhs series regardless of how good those yeah. movies are like it's neat to see kind of a unifying theme for a short story block or what have you so the kaidon um huge fan of yeah this movie also it it didn't introduce this trope, but it's one of the most influential films to establish and popularize the recurring trope in Japanese horror of the the woman with the long black hair uh-huh. cascading. Mm-hmm. Face. It's it's such a lush movie too. The photography, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's quite beautiful. Um, all right, let's go back to Brandon. What's your next film? Hi. All right. Hi. <laughs> Uh, my next film, I'm gonna go with one that I particularly like. Really liked back when I first saw it. Um, I don't think it hit the states until 2006 or so, but um, 2001's Pulse. Oh yeah, which comes in the wake of uh the craze of things like Ringu and stuff. Um, it's a Kurosawa film, but not not the one we're thinking. It's a uh, is it Kiyoshi? Kiyoshi? All right. Uh, two groups of people discover evidence that uh, suggest spirits may be trying to invade the human world through the internet. Uh, this is we've been talking about Takashi Miike. He said this one scared him. Uh, but uh, this is uh basically you know uh horror always when there's new technologies and stuff. Um, in the United States we always have something that tries to take advantage uh, on a craze, and J- Japan was no different. Um, this one has this uh just deals with the loneliness and isolation with people it's a it's a traumatizing thing to to be alone um i i I really liked this movie when i first saw it and then they made a a united states version and um much like all of the u.s jj horror films it was widely praised everyone it was it was it was the thing that happened (laughs) Uh, but I feel like even like later on things like the, uh, I feel like the, uh, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie even riffed on stuff they found in Pulse or tried to, to take something from it and put it in there. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of really frightening imagery in this movie, um, regarding, uh, a lot of that kind of that, (laughs) that, uh, Blair Witch guy in the corner vibe going on with things, uh, with ghosts and stuff in rooms. There's reflections that are really spooky, um, there's mysteries being solved. There's two separate timelines going on in this movie, uh, at the same time. Uh, some guy, I, I really like the characters in this one too, that are, that are going, uh, through all this, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's a whole lot of, um, what is the internet? It's, it's yeah. new. It's, it's spooky. It's what, what kind of things can happen, but there's just a lot of like, I mean, there's a part where uh, one of the characters just gets hit with these short video clips of just people, 
and the people aren't really like doing harm or anything to themselves, but it's just really creepy to see what they're showing um, in a voyeur voyeuristic kind of fashion, but from a sure. computer. And watching this movie, I realized like how scary um, you could get you could be with yourself on the internet at night back in the day. Like mm-hmm. when you just didn't know you could go going down a rabbit hole of looking for something that you didn't even know if it, you know, it was bullshit or something. You start reading these like articles or something and you're alone in a room with this dark room with this glowing screen. And you're reading about like, I don't know, UFO stuff or ghost sightings and stuff. And it could be a really creepy experience in your youth sitting alone in the dark reading stuff on the computer with no sounds around it. I think this movie really kind of capitalizes on that as well as adding to that whole why are teens committed to suicide type thing. Even though this one deals with a little bit older kids, it still has that what's making our kids kill themselves. It can't be mm-hmm. us. It can't be the pressure us adults or, or our culture puts on. Uh, sure. But, uh, but what are they doing? Um, but this one, this one really, um, in its finale, it goes for it. Like there's a, it goes to a place where it's like, oh shit, they're okay. This is this is big, um, and uh, that's kind of impressive to take a swing, um, where they go. And yeah, I, I think it's a real, really well put together film. Tech wise, a bit dated because sure. you know it took advantage of a, a of trend at the time, um, but horror wise, I still think it works. Um, uh, visuals are effective enough. You can leave your ha ha ha. They don't know the internet yet. Kind of stuff at the door easily. Mm-hmm. I watched this for the first time uh, this week, and um, I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed it more as a more for its mood and atmosphere than I did as like mm-hmm. a scary horror movie. Um, oh yeah, like mm-hmm. it's certainly presenting imagery that can be spooky, but like it 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 gave me more of like a vibe as for what yep. it was feeling for, as opposed to same being something that's more intense, which mm-hmm. leads to like other films I also watched. It's a really cold, colorless-looking movie. Um, it is, yeah. and that brings me to another question I'll get to when I get to my next film that I want to talk about. But with this movie, you mentioned Blair Witch, and it's like that, and yeah, this weird, like, not weird, but like this technological obsession that Japanese horror seems to have in particular, where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not just like the world that's haunted or whatever, you know, entities are in it, but like the nature of, of media of some kind or the internet. Yeah. Like and it's like, that's an interesting thing to pull from that seems pretty unique to that area like i don't see that beyond just the remakes of these movies and i don't really see that happening in other like except for i don't know what chopping ball like i don't there's not right. a lot of like like let's use let's use the technology and turn it against them as a horror movie thing i can ghost again, in the machine ghost the machine. right yeah 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 but like yeah but things like like chopping ball terminator Fear, like there's ways to, there's ways to do it but like it seems like japan at least made it like more consistent for a certain time period and more worthwhile to some degrees beyond some obvious examples. But like, I like the, but well, I mentioned, I mentioned Blair Witch and like, honestly, like for whatever reason, like Prince of Darkness kind of came to mind too, as far yeah, as like where yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. goes, as far as yep the kind of bleakness in the, in like how far everything's going to be taken. Like that, that came to mind when I was watching the film too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like any thoughts on a uh, pulse? Um, I remembered liking pulse. I mean, Kurosawa is, I mean, this Kurosawa, he's he's kind of a Kubrickian filmmaker mm-hmm. in a way. You can see kind of traces of that. Um, what was that? <laughs> We're t- talking about the internet being haunted. We just, for the listeners, we just saw Mike get a bunch of balloons showed is up it, on is his it, video is it, is it your birthday? <laughs> like, what? How did you do that? <laughs> oh, what? 
<laughs> we, we are all we flabbergasted. Have this all right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, because you would have to. Like, I could do it myself. I think, right? <laughs> like, this was, but yeah, yours is just in the Robert? corner. But I mean, yeah, what I'm a perfect to movie! Out how, how you did that? Yeah, Aaron and what I are a... both putting up the 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 logo. But... What a perfect movie for this yeah. to happen on. Okay, <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, is anyone going to talk about Cure tonight? No. Nope. Okay, so. If you like Pulse, if you like this director, definitely check out a movie called Cure. It's sort of a serial killer uh, detective thing. Yeah, that was on my list <laughs> of like things I could watch. I just didn't get to it. And that's a fun one. And then another one that's more of a dark comedy than a horror film. It's called Doppelganger, hmm. which is really kind of nutty and weird. Um, that's a fun one, too. Okay. Um, all right. Um, Mike, what's your, what's your next film? Is this number three? Yes. Number three. Yeah. Um... I'm gonna go with um oh I'm gonna go with one of my all-time favorite Japanese films. It's uh it's a experimental surrealist film from 1926. Oh, oh okay. It's <laughs> called Age of Madness. Yeah, this is one where I wanted to watch, I didn't get a chance to, but I saw I saw this title. Yeah. I, I bet this comes up on a lot of lists. It's by um Keinosuke Kinugasa is the director. Um it's it's so loosely the story is about a man who takes a job as a janitor at an insane asylum mm -hmm. uh -huh. and it's a good revealed, place to start. well the, it's revealed that his wife is an inmate there and and because she was driven crazy by him and his abuse mm -hmm. and so out of a sense of guilt um he decides to take the 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 job there and it's about him kind of encountering all the other inmates and as he moves through the space and the film is just, I mean, that's all the kind of plot that exists because it's such an experimental film, but it's filled with all kinds of really striking surrealist imagery. And, you know, you can sense the film is trying to find like a suitable way to express through the medium of cinema themes like madness and insanity and disorientation. And, and you kind of have to take this into context because this was during that generation when there were all these sort of intellectual approaches to this still new art form of film um, that was really putting pressure on filmmakers to experiment with the form and and not just rely on old theater traditions, right? Like uh, staging an old theater play and then pointing the camera at it. Those same questions were swirling around American and European cinemas uh, too at that time. And so what you end up with here is a film that's like really out there in terms of an obvious ambition to try things with the camera and in-camera effects and with editing to try and invoke mood and tone um from this being in an, in an asylum and it's it's a really stunning work of art that's one i definitely want to check out it's only 71 minutes so it's not going to be a hard one for me to put on, on at some point because i do want to keep going with this even after we you know <laughs> i'm not going to stop watching japanese horror films for this episode uh so yeah i do want to i, I want to get to it for sure because just the, the you can double feature that with house make it a full like just three hours i mean house we should be watching every day of the week just for fun <laughs> um the, the problem with a lot of these older silent films is that the soundtracks are kind of interchangeable yeah because sometimes they don't have locked in ones and so like oh. Criterion, yeah when criterion releases a film and they slap on like a a certain score or something that tends to take over as the definitive one mm -hmm. um the orchestras of light one uh, score for uh the choir rather for passion of joan of arc is like now the the official version and so this one the criterion one is not my favorite aaron so if you're going to go check it out if you can get the release from the george eastman house that score mm -hmm. is ah, it's beautiful okay 
I'll just but I'll, I'll, I'll run the phone through chat GBT, see what it comes up with for the best score. See how that goes. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> know, George Eastman, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind for sure. I pity, I pity people who reject silent films simply because they require more work or more patience. It's mm. like, right? It's like saying I don't go to museums that exhibit art that was made before my lifetime. Right. It's who are these? Who are these people? We should burn them at the stake. Students. I mean. <laughs> For my money, there's few yeah. co- there's few comedies that are better than some of those silent comedies that you can find find out there. But whatevs, um, Abe. What's your next film? Yeah, uh, we got addition already, so uh, that'd be my third. So you can go to yours. All right, I, fine. <laughs> I can you, go can't, you, can't, you can't go to your fourth. Like, I could. Yeah, go, go to your number four. It's, yeah, it's it's Ringu. It's one that we've talked that everybody knows Good. about. Um, it's certainly one that has traversed uh, both American and also Japanese cinema. Um, I, I think that this is one of those ideas. I, when I think about Ringu, I think about um, the haunted houses in Japan. <clears throat> and I think about how there's like this lore of please don't buy these homes where people have died because there's going to be spirits in them. However, Ringu is just like a weird like uh, it's like a weird like. Do you remember Chainmail back in like 2000, the early 2000s when you get emails? Yes. And oh, it's, it's like, oh. Chainmail goes Chain beyond. Goes, yeah. It goes through physical like, mail too. Yeah, like way back in the day. And so it, it's, I, I love and there, the there idea. There was, of course, the famous horror movie starring Clint Howard um, called Chainmail. It's called Chainmail? Chain mm-hmm. Letter. <laughs> okay. Chain letter, yep. uh, Clint Howard, America's Finest? Uh, but uh, no. <laughs> the, the, the idea of Ringu is actually just really cool because I, I don't even know like some of the origins. Of Brad Dorif. Of... I'm sorry. I got I had to correct this out loud <laughs> right like, now. Not Clint like, Howard. I don't remember, Brad I don't remember Clint Howard doing this stuff. But um, oh, yeah, he's Ringu been in some is... schlock. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Clint and I talk about this every every week at, at lunch when we get uh, lunch. Uh, but yeah, Ringu is a it's it's very effective in the way that it is setting things up of just this idea of a, a, break, a pretty simple premise of just the seven days and you have to watch this or make a copy of it and keep passing it on. This has been done and repeated through even modern cinema, quote unquote, modern cinema today with things like It Follows and again, like the remake starring um, the Australian woman. But um, I I like the simple premise. But I, <laughs> Naomi Watts? Naomi Watts, thank you. Academy the Australian woman. Yeah. Her. But I what I what I really dig about the idea of this is just how like we've talked about this with a lot of the movies we've talked about tonight, but just like how crazy it is. Like, can you imagine like this girl that just comes out of your TV because you did not follow the rules and then she will then force you to to die? But again, it's just like what a weird like house haunted movie. And also, Wait, what, just... what rules if we follow it? Like, she wants to after seven days. She ain't got no rules. She doesn't no, like no, it when you copy like, the if tape. You, if you don't do the video thing, then she'll get you. Yeah, right? but like, nobody knows the video thing. Nobody not, knows the video. There's no, there's no like yeah. list that says make sure to do this or else. You oh, didn't yeah, do yeah, yeah. it. She's true. intending yeah, yeah. to kill you. And someone she wants to kill and you. And there may be just somebody happens to figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah. it's a very cool premise. It's been remade a couple times, I think. With Ring One and Ring Two, um, I think the, there's even more the than that. Ring, there's there's yeah, a lot that, at this point. It, <laughs> so, now, uh, yeah, at at the yeah. at one point, at the point when we were getting the United States remakes of them mm-hmm. or of the first one, because I believe they went their own direction. There was there's already four, four rings, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen the the continuation of them. Let me know if they're good. Well, there's Rosin, uh, or is it? Yeah, Rosin, which is Spiral. 
Yeah. Um, not from the, from, the, from the book of Ringu. <laughs> and uh, that because so these like are, seri- are a series of novels. Yeah. And they went for the next novel. I see. And then they ended up making a second a Ringo 2, which just like ignored the Viral second went, one. Went to the yeah. Sp- and, and did a direct sequel. Yeah. And then there's like Ringo Zero, which is like a prequel, obviously. And that, then that, that when I was when this was happening, that's where it was at. But since then, they've resurrected it and done like TV show and. Well, the, the next logical step was Sadako 3D, <laughs> and and Sadako 3D too. <laughs> then there's a versus movie. Mm-hmm. In there, anyone seen the versus movie? I haven't no. seen the one where it's Sadako versus okay. Kayako with the yeah, okay. ring so, versus the Grudge, basically. Yeah, yeah. So the the versus is a woman who encounters the 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 cursed videotape. Sadako, mm-hmm. and she realizes I have no chance unless I lure this ghost into the house from the Grudge. Hilarious. Oh, okay. the two women basically do like a Freddy versus Jason at the end. Yeah. Pretty cool. One winks at yeah. the camera. Yeah, but this is also a good thing because um, it reminds me of like what VHS kind of picked up on, especially like in the first one that I've really only seen like the first and second ones. But um, how you go into like this place and you're just like, well, a bunch of tapes here. Well, try not to watch these tapes then. You don't know. You don't know what's going on. Like, don't don't break into people's homes for one, and then also just don't pick up artifacts that you're not sure if they if they're going to be haunted or going to haunt you. So. I haven't. I I I watched Ringu the first time this week. I never saw the original one. I've seen the ring. Really? I've seen the ring, and I think it's pretty known on this podcast. At least I'm not a fan of the ring. I as much as I like Gore Verbinski, that right? movie doesn't do much for me, uh, yeah. because I find the hour and a half worth of journalism work to be very boring in that film. Um, so it's it just feels like it's spinning its wheels a lot. This yeah. movie is like a half hour shorter than that movie. So like by that reason alone, I kind of like this movie a little bit more. But I think it comes down to the premise. I hear you when you say it's a cool premise. I don't disagree as far as, okay, that's, 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 you, that's, I haven't seen that necessarily, let alone the comeuppance that comes from it, which you don't really see till the end as far as like mm-hmm. what actually happens, which again, cool visual for sure. And yeah. Verbinski knows how to do that stuff as well. Like that aspect of it works for me. I feel like my head just works too much when I think about this this movie specifically, where it's like, so haunted videotape. They're setting up the camera somewhere, and they're making like they're. I could try to picture like demons in an editing bay, like working this thing together, and like trying to piece together a movie <laughs> out of this. And then like they have to establish the fact that it gets sent around, and then they're like, and I know there's justifications for like why it's seven days and stuff like that, but it just feels like. Sounds like a lot of work just to like enact some like random vengeance on people that didn't really have it coming, but like just got involved in this thing. Yeah. I don't know. My, I like. I feel like for whatever reason, my head picks this movie apart along with other horror movies too more than more than others. And I don't know if that's just a the journey for me, Brandon, as you would say, is just not doing it for me. So yeah. my, my head, my mind just kind of wanders. I don't know if it's that or there's something else to play. I don't know what it is, but just something about, again, I like Ringu. I like this movie more than the remake of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's leaps and bounds amazing or better than it. I'm not being like that guy where it's like, oh, the remake's always better, or the original's always better. It's just more of, I don't know, something about the the efficiency of the original just works better for me. Yeah, But uh, but having watched it, I'm like, I get it. I, I see where this is going, but yeah, it's just not my, I guess, my favorite thing here. Yeah, I yeah. think. Did you think that you know they build up this tape, and when you finally see it, did the did was it creepy enough? Was it effective? The tape itself, watching it. 
I'm trying to remember for the Verbinski one or for the Japanese one. The either. I, uh, yeah. They're pretty I, much the same tape in both. The but... Verbinski one certainly is more visceral as far as mm-hmm. like you're seeing like things go through nails and stuff like that. Right. It's like, yeah, it's pretty hardcore for especially for a PG-13 horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I'll never know what my reaction would have been if I saw this one first compared to that because I just have right. it. So I don't have that yeah. subjectivity anymore. It, it does speak to another thing that I wanted to bring up, which I'll kind of bring up with, next, with the movie I'm going to talk about next, but mm-hmm. it applies to this one and Pulse and others, for example. I do, and especially when you when we like Mike, you already talked about, you just talked about like Page of Madness. I talked about Kaidon. I do see a lot of artistry in these earlier horror films, a lot of cinema in them, a lot of use of color, a lot of stuff that just like really mm-hmm. speaks to just the work that goes into them from a director's point of view. Where, and I don't know if it's an, just because I'm watching like not 4K sheen nice versions of these movies like Ring right. and Pulse, but like it just <laughs> doesn't feel that way for me. Like it's not. I don't know if it's the direction or if it's just because it's crappy transfer or whatnot, but like Ringo is a pretty plain looking movie. No, no, it is. It is. Yeah. And so is Pulse for that matter. Like there's yeah. actually kind of what I like about it though. And that's what I'm debating with myself. Like I, yeah. I like that it by that it could be, you could consider being grounded. So it feels more realistic to agree because it's like resembling life in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, there, also- there's a, well, there's a couple times in Ringo where I'm like, have they even, are they moving the camera in this at all? And then it would be like little adjustment. I'm like, okay, yeah, they are. But I felt like I was watching some a pretty flat movie for a lot of it that was just static. And it's like it's not like these guys are necessarily amateurs. Some of them are doing some of their first. Like this is what uh, Hideo Nakata, and it's like it, it's not like he's inexperienced. So I'm just and Mike, you can speak to this as well. But I'm just curious if that's an element that sticks out to you when it comes to these kind of movies, these modern, these more you know 2000s era horror films. I mean, it kind of speaks to something I alleged earlier, which is that. It's the kind of very straightforward, no frills kind of, you know, horror movie that people over here then look at and say like, oh my God, that flatness and that plainness and the lack of aesthetic flourish, there must be something inherently Buddhist in that aesthetic or something. It's like, Jesus Christ. No, no, it's a low budget film. Budget film. You yeah, have yeah. imposing cultural interpretations onto just like <laughs> dollars and cents, you know. Right. Um, I feel like my my character is justified then, and not and not pro- promoting the film ba- in my mind based off of how lack of of cinematic quality it has as a positive for some reason. I mean, it did beg the question because Gore Verbinski's is very stylized by comparison. Stylized, it, it relies yeah. more on jump scares, and of course Sadako, who is Samara, I think in the U.S. Yeah. version. Yes, yes, yes. And she's a visual effect, right? And so there was a lot of hemming and hawing about like, oh, no, no, Ringu is like the original Japanese traditional version versus the souped up special uh, effects. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, lazy comparison. Yeah. But, and the, and I can admire Vorbinski for doing something like that, not because he's trying to one up it or anything, but it's like, I, you know, I, I'm making a studio horror movie. Let's see what I can do with this. And, yeah. there's, there's and a... Vorbinski has like his own visual style. For sure. I it's very. You can see it in like his other movies too, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, it is cool of him to be directing that remake mm-hmm. of it. Um. Because what was the movie where where he's got like the weird fish thing, um, and there's like that medicine bottle as like the um, cure the... for wellness or yeah, something. cure for wellness. Where it's, like, oh, that okay. has like this weird like you know horror aesthetic to it too. But it's like oh, this is totally Verbinski. You know, like when you watch it, you're just like this is a Verbinski movie. So yeah, his, it's very much a product of a director are... for sure. Like someone's yeah, making, exactly. making very so, deliberate like, choices. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I can certainly see like his impact on the Ring American remake of it. But yeah, I, I, I like like what you're maybe calling it like the flatness of the Japanese one. Cause it just feels like 
like a found tape kind of things like am i supposed to be watching this kind of thing it's not as crazy as like some of the vhs where you're like i don't think i should be watching this or like you know like mike i think you talked about some maybe some some perhaps snuff stuff with the guinea pig stuff where it's like oh i don't know if i should be watching this stuff but certainly like oh this is actually kind of cool like it's kind of effective but yeah i i, I wasn't i didn't have any trouble falling asleep when i watched ringu and i, I watched this like you know um in my 20s ish but yeah it, it wasn't one of those where i was like I can't look at TVs because something's going to come out of the screen. It's like, it's just a cool premise. I, I always thought if I'm trapped in that and I know that she's going to come out of the TV, then I'm like at the seven day mark, I'm going to go to a Dodgers game and like she can come out of the Jumbotron and take everybody. Out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I've actually, I've always thought this is my own interpretation, but since I mentioned it earlier, so in the late eighties, there was this serial killer. Yes. Like yeah, national, right? incredibly horrific thing. And mm-hmm. they thought that this person was sort of trafficking in a lot of sort of underground pornography and VHS to VHS dubs of things. You know, fans circulate these things before everything is now available on the internet. And of course, the the item, right, the, the physical object that is currency in that underworld is the blank VHS tape mm-hmm. that's been dubbed over and over mm-hmm. and over People create their mm-hmm. fan subs and things like that. And of course, this sort of outsized panic that resulted from him being a child murderer was like, oh my God, these underground circulations of like guinea pig films and trash films and things like yeah. that. Are these people dangerous, right? And so I've always felt that the that, that Ringu is drawing on that anxiety, like this sort of uncirculated underground videotape could be yeah. something like ruinous to society if, if it's left unchecked, right? That seems to be a direct uh, reference to me anyway, mm-hmm. metaphorically. I, I wish I parallel. wish that hit me in some way. <laughs> it's like just think, thinking yeah. about like, okay, he's got a he's, he's really showing off his uh his college film film efforts uh, education here and <laughs> trying to make it work. It's, best also, it's about mm-hmm. generational difference, right? Because yeah. you're more likely to encounter this haunted media if you're younger. And I mean, I'll put it this way: if you do not have access to or you don't know how to do a VHS to VHS dub with the RCA cables. Mm-hmm. Not in danger of encountering this ghost to begin with. Yeah, no, you know the, I mean? the, yeah. The, yeah. the the percentage chance of me getting haunted by 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 Zodoga, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too terribly concerned yeah. in that regard. That doesn't hit this me. is a this is a great premise for a horror movie, Mike. Just like, oh, your your mom is asking you to figure out how to do a video transfer, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the ghost gets latched to you, even though it was trying to latch onto your mom. He's like, oh no, thanks a lot. It's a horror thanks, comedy. Man. And Abe, like this, this extends to like sinister, which I also sure. like. It has imagery that is certainly creepy, but like, like Alan pointed out when we talked about the movie, you know, almost ten years ago. Jesus, um, it, it's another one where it's like so. Mister Boogan's just stomping around in the attic, making home movies and splicing yeah, exactly. clips together, like so they yeah. can show it to people. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and he has an army yeah. of children like distributing these out. It's, it's actually like if you if you take it even a step further, it's like it's actually him videotaping these children doing bad things to their parents. It's like, what is yeah. happening here? And then like, he has to go develop, he has to go develop, film. he has to go develop the film at yeah. the local, he's got, local he's got like, like CBS room. or something. Yeah. <laughs> the CBS clerk is just like, what is happening here? <laughs> old man with his stringy hair. Like, <laughs> well, his name is Bagul. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you can just watch the ring video scrolling by on TikTok. You're like, oh, there's that, yeah. Seven days. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I, like, when rings came out or whatever, like, that's what I, like, not that I was thinking this is definitely going to do it, but like 
it does seem like for a social media age, there's a really good story you could probably make with this premise. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's easy to do. Like, but yeah, based on the fact that I believe Rings has a zero percent, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it's bad. So yeah. Well, it's funny. They made a short film with the same name that was actually pretty good. Um, that was uh between Ring and Ring Two. I don't think they tied in at all, but uh, had Ryan Merriman. It just had. It was like the perfect like short film to be like like lights out where it's like this little short film be like uh, would you want to make a movie off yeah, like that um but it was made after the ring but it was a, a neat little uh five to ten minute movie mm -hmm. um that was also called rings and then they did do it made the... rings yeah well well so the next what's film, next the next film i have yeah, speaking of trendy uh japanese horror from the 2000s is Ju on the grudge uh, ah, okay. A film that I had not seen. I have not seen the remake either, although I heard it's just nothing but amazing and we should all just worship it. The, the uh, you're being sarcastic. I'm a big defender of the American remake. Okay, I haven't well, seen Mike, it. Mike, you can leave. Uh, well, let me let me put let me put this out there. Right? This is from Takashi Shibuzu. Shibizu. Um, I really liked The Grudge. I I didn't I didn't know anything about this beyond Little Boy Ghosts. Like that's all. That's it. That's sure. the. I didn't know this was a non-linear story, for example, which was really cool to me. I was really happy to see that kind of format applied to a movie like this. Um, I Me asking about the flatness or whatnot, I don't find that, like it's there in this movie as well, as far as a kind of lack of frills, but just by nature of it having jump scares and having mm -hmm. this, you know, mm -hmm. a very specific iconic image of this little, you know, white ghost boy and the other, the other horror element also, that that by default just makes it, I think, I don't know, necessarily more, like more cinematic because that's not really a thing, but like, it feels like I'm more in the moment and I'm more present in what is trying to throw at me compared sure. to something like Ringu or even Pulse to some degree. Um, regardless, this was a very effective movie. <laughs> like it was the one where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have watched this at 11 o'clock at night before I'm like going to sleep. Uh. <laughs> like, this is not the, this wasn't the right choice. I need to watch like a series <laughs> of comedic reels before I go to bed. <laughs> like, um, But yeah, it, you need to do off. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a Jew off during the high holidays, uh, but the um, <laughs> no, I, I kaiju's all your kaiju films. <laughs> I found I found it real. I should right. I, I found it really effective. Um, I didn't I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, I figured like it's pro like again. I haven't seen the American remake, but I assume like well they remade it, so it has to be somewhat good uh, to begin with. I am like the you're saying you're saying you're a defender of the American remake. Is that film also presented non-linearly? Is that still part of the thing? I don't want to hear just, too much about it because I'm going to watch it eventually. But like, is it, no, it's essentially the exact same thing, except that it has white it people. Has just sort of like put white people in because <laughs> it's still in Japan. I'm aware of that, and it's the same director. It's, like, so it's yeah, like, but the the reason I, I like it and would even argue it's kind of superior. Like, hmm. the original is fucking spooky. Right? Yes, so it is. Great. The remake I thought was interesting because. It has the exact same plot, but having American expats living in Japan adds all of these interesting layers to me about yeah. sort of the vis-a-vis -vis the power dynamics between countries and and the nature of the haunting itself in terms of like who belongs and who huh. doesn't and mm -hmm. who's acting re retribution on whom. Like the the sort of cross cultural dynamics sort of layered into that, I thought was like really what invites a more complex conversation so okay well that's that's uh, the original is the better movie but as a sort of a conversation or like a 
a, a film I'd like to discuss in a, let's say, a classroom setting and debate, I mm-hmm. got a lot out of the second or the uh, the American remake. Well, that's good to know. And I'm not going to watch it because, you know, it's if you're saying it's a direct copy, basically, I'm not going to watch it like in the next week. I'll, I'll, I'll give it some time so I can kind of let this one wash past me and then see it so I can have a more fresh eyes on it. But I'm I'm certainly curious. Um, and, you know, it's got Bill Pullman. I'm always watching movies with Bill Pullman. Whenever, whenever I can see Bill Pullman in a big movie, I'm happy to see that. But uh, no, this movie, like this has a number of like, just really cool sequences as far as how to like creep you out there's one where like oh like the nature of how far the i don't know the prolonged torturing of various people goes to get to the final point there's one sequence where a woman's in like a hospital and she gets into an elevator and as she's going up the elevator like the sign of danger to come is always the little boy starts to be present and so she's going up the elevator and outside like the windows of the elevator at each floor you see the boy it goes up a floor there's the boy again it goes up a floor there's the boy again i'm like oh my god <laughs> i just see it either she's just like she's, she feels like she's safe she's like okay i ran away i got to the elevator i'm fine now but the boy's like right there each floor going up and i'm like oh my god this is not good um so it's like it's like doing stuff like that throughout that just like was really working for me there's a there's a clicking kind of sound that's emitted that obviously gets to you um it's doing the job even in the because it's another one that somewhat uses technology like it's not shying away from it like phones and things get come into play for various reasons and i just think it knows how to handle it well as far as you know you can talk about whatever themes you want to or what you want to argue the movie's doing with its haunting and the why of it all but as far as a you know a boo machine it's doing the work to like yeah. creep you out effectively. And uh, you know, that it, that worked for me. I'm aware that this yeah. is like the third entry in a, a series of Juan movies, apparently also are like, are the other two any curse that they're, they're the, like direct, they're like direct to video movies. I'm aware of that. This is like the first theatrical one. Yeah. None of the direct to video ones are really worth your time. The direct sequel to this one, just mm-hmm. Juan two mm-hmm. is, decent it's it's worth a look if you're already kind of invested in the franchise but mm-hmm. I, beyond that i don't think it's really worth it okay well yeah no i was yeah. i was very impressed uh with three i didn't know what to expect and i was i was quite yeah. impressed with it i i wanted to watch either this or dark water i'm not sure if any of you guys are going to talk about dark water um because i uh, i'm not that's because that's one where i've seen the i've only seen the american remake which american actually version. quite i actually quite like yeah it's it's pretty good that's yeah. a pretty that was like the because i that was when i was i wasn't like anti-ring but i was certainly like I was not in the camp of it. So when Dark Water came out and I was like, well, here's one I like. Like, I enjoyed this. <laughs> um, and it's decidedly different. It's, it's not a director. It's not a very... It, what, sorry? It's the same director as Ringu is uh, Dark Water. As, right? Yeah, the, for the original one, yes. And it's director of... What is it? Um, oh, it's the it's the Spanish film um, who does the remake of Dark Water. Uh, what's it called? Uh, that's going to bug me. I'm going to get up in a second. But no, that's one where I like and it's Walter Sales. Walter Sales, thank you. Um and that that's one where I, I, I just enjoyed the mood and the vibe of that one completely. I don't want to go too far into Dark Water about yeah, yeah. the American version, but that's that's one where I like I thought and you're saying the grudge remake is good too. So like, okay, maybe there's more for me to look for. <laughs> like that I'm gonna be the guy that like doesn't like Gore Verbinski's the ring, but I'm like, yeah, Dark Water and the Grudge, those are all my like, <laughs> the ones that hey, didn't man, make, you like what you like. The ones that didn't make two hundred million dollars in the box office. Like, yeah. Although the well, grudge is successful. They did the job. So this is also on my list. So we've just oh. nailed two out of two, buddy. Okay. Well, there you go. Any well, additional also, additional thoughts the- on it or in the, uh, in that category of yeah. oh sorry no no go ahead no as you say we've we've gone through the grudge the ring pulse 
um, dark water, but there's also Shutter, which is Thailand. But there's there's one thrown, missed call which is a thrown in this. Film. Yep, yeah. Oh, <laughs> how could we forget one missed call? <laughs> yeah, how could we forget that one? But like all these, like let's let's hang our ghosts onto a technology uh, thing happen in this decade, this 2000s decade, both between or the original uh, it's coming out and then the Americanization of them. Mm-hmm. The Motorcycle Diaries is the Walter Sales film I was trying to remember. Ah, okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, nothing to add. Uh, it's got some good jump scares. And I, I, again, I just like the idea of haunted houses in Japan because, again, it, it is quite a quite a thing in the culture of just like, you know. I, I was in Japan one time and I, I walked in the woods and woods. I don't read. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was a trail. It wasn't though I was just like walking through it. Uh, and I remember coming upon this house um, and there's like a sign in front and I couldn't read it. And I was like, I'm not going to go in or I'm not going to even step foot beyond like this marker because I've seen enough Japanese horror movies to be like, something's going to happen and then I'm not going to be able to sleep and uh, I'm going to be haunted by these kids. So that's uh, how much uh, Juwan the Grudge has affected my huh. life. Anybody remember? I don't know if it's Scary Movie 3 or 4, but there's a, a Juwan scene. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think this I believe 4 is yeah. the one it gets yeah. to that. Because it has the boy, the boy is in it a lot. Yeah, like, so it's, it's up and, and and they speak to each other in Japanese, but it's all just like gibberish. Common. No, it's not gibberish, but it's like common Japanese words. So they'll say, you know, oh, Mitsubishi Samurai Teriyaki Banzai. <laughs> yeah, because it's because it's Anna yeah. Ferris. Huh. It's Anna Ferris doing it, so it's yeah. like, like this is funny. Apparently, right. <laughs> all right, Brandy, have you seen the Grudge? Have you seen the the original? No, not the original. Just the uh, the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what's your next film? Uh, my next film is uh, this is uh, this is the last one I got because uh, Perfect Blue was on my list. Uh, but 1989 Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Yes, I. Here, here, I'm gonna let you go. The real quick thing I'm gonna say is like the only chance I had to watch this, the only time I had was when I had lunch, and I was like, I, yeah! I, I, I already know. I so I didn't watch it because I'm like. I uh, already know because Brandon knows I have this habit of like ill picking ill-timed things to watch when I have my lunch, where it's like the goriest fucking thing possible, <laughs> and I'm like, and it's and it's all and it it's lately tended to be like TV shows that I don't expect to have any gore, right? <laughs> it's like all right, but so like so I I knew ahead of time that I'm like. I know this is going to be a gory thing, so I'm not going to watch this movie right now. <laughs> and so I didn't get to it. But let, let me know what what did you think of, of Tetsuo the Iron Man? Yeah, were you having sushi, Aaron? Not yeah. that time. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one. So, like, this is wild. Um, uh, you know, I like that. I started. I started with House, and I'm ending with Tetsuo here okay. of my picks because mm. um, this describe. I mean, it's clear. I mean, the director uh, Shinya Sukamoto. Sukamoto. Uh, he is is clearly stated the influence on this, but this is obviously like. What if Cronenberg made like Eraserhead or something like that? Uh, it, okay. It's very, very much uh, that. Uh, I mean, it's it kicks off with the guy like cutting his leg open and putting a piece of metal in it. And then he gets hit by a car and the guy who hit, hit him with the car, like has a little like fleck of metal that's growing out of his face, which then leads to different metallic stuff becoming less flesh more robotic and it is quite quite wild all over the place erotic um oh. and like he like 
it's weird where dreams end, uh, begin and end in this movie. It's not quite clear to me because there's one point I thought he killed his wife, but then he didn't. And then she becomes robotic herself, I think, too. Um, and just it just keeps growing till he's like a full, like almost like mech person almost uh throughout this it's a quick movie too i didn't realize that. it's only like 80 oh, something oh, minutes right or 70 yeah, like, oh. minutes i think yeah i was like it was barely over an hour like that i'll say that it was like oh wow okay we're done mm-hmm. um i don't know what it's trying to say particularly <laughs> i was just taking it in and just fascinated uh because it looks like a very super i think it was shot on 16 millimeter it's very very low budget but like the and like the locations are back alleys, uh, apartment building, very, very. It's a very tight, claustrophobic, uh, shot, uh, film, and um, yeah. It's I mean, if you like Titan, I was about to love, say this sounds like a Titan. you'll love Tetsuo, <laughs> um, the Iron Man. There's a sequel called Tetsuo Two. Uh, body hammer i did not get a chance to watch that i might want to check it out cool name. um but this was a white i think i was reading there was a potentially a third one with tarantino being involved somehow or something no no there is a third one it's called okay the, it's called bullet man oh okay um, it's <laughs> kind of forgettable and it has okay. some interesting elements to it like uh trent Reznor, i think did the theme song oh, oh okay for the most part it's for completists only, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so there's the third one. Um, Although Body Hammer Part 2 is, uh, it has a bigger budget and is much more narrative. I think okay. it's called Body Hammer Part 2. That's already a great title right there. Yeah, so the first one is like really avant-garde and experimental. Mm-hmm. The second one's a bit more narrative and the, uh, what was it? Upgrade, that movie Upgrade? Yeah, from, yeah. It's a yeah. brand yeah. favorite right there. A lot. Yeah, yeah it's a favorite of mine. a lot from Body Hammer. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this movie, yeah, quite wild. Um, if if you're into experimental, if you are into anything that I had mentioned when talking about this, check this out because, um, and it's it's not. I mean, it pull it pull it does not pull back any punches. Like it, it just straight up goes for it. Um, it isn't afraid of its limitations and knows how to play them well. And just yeah, it's quite wild. Um, and like I said, I don't know particularly what it's exactly trying to be about or say, but I en- I did enjoy uh, just ex- experiencing it and checking it out. We should note for Abe that uh, the the name Tetsuo is a direct reference to the character in Akira. Oh, and so like that that body horror moment where his his body and flesh just gets completely out of control and he's mm-hmm. just like massive wires and metal and flesh it's like if we took that segment from akira and just had it take place in an apartment in japan <laughs> basically right it's just like yeah that, that out of control body horror yeah uh, pretty cool all right i should note by the way that these films are pretty easily available um i didn't have any problem finding the films i had to watch for any of this like between shutter uh canopy hoopla like especially like mm-hmm. those ones like they mm-hmm. it was it prime uh pulse was on prime um like it's not hard to find japanese horror which is nice <laughs> that it's still readily available and of course i'll provide a list at the end at the in the show notes for this episode too all the films that we talked about uh but mike yeah, t- yeah tetsuo, tetsuo is a, an important horror film but it's also a really important um japanese cyberpunk mm. um mm. Uh, particularly because of that association with Akira and 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 whatnot, and um, 
Yeah, because Japan is so so central to the rise of cyberpunk, right? Uh, because of its corporate power in the 70s and 80s. That's why like Blade Runner takes place in LA, but it looks like an Asian city. Right. Uh, hmm. um, the Yakuza are villains in like half of William Gibson's novels uh, and so on. So I'm going to go for my next one. Is this number four or five? Yeah, for you it's four, yes. I'm going to go with Onibaba. Damn. <laughs> That's my other one. <laughs> Well, I can skip it. You take one. You no, go. Okay. I'll, I'll do something else. Um, uh, I'll do a zombie film. Oh. Uh, a more recent one from 2015 called "I Am a Hero." Okay. Anyone seen this one? It's a. Uh, it's by Shinsuke Sato as the director. Um, <clears throat> so it's a zombie. Com- it's based on a manga series about uh, a manga artist who's actually not not an artist. I think he's like an assistant. But he's like this 30-something-year-old loser, who a loner, whose life isn't going anywhere. And then he finds himself in the midst of a zombie apocalypse and has to step up. And so... Oh, one of those situations, huh? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not particularly fresh because it draws so much obvious inspiration from Shaun of the Dead and sure. yeah. Zombieland. But it's very fun and funny and very gory um, in its kind of absurdity. So if you are partial to, like, fun kooky zombie violence this one's a pretty wild it's a, it's 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 very pleasurable i am part I of don't these things so I, I don't know what its availability is but i don't know i want i i'm certainly curious now and i want to check it out um ape what's uh what's next for you we've covered all mine covered all yours okay yeah um then we'll then we'll go to onibaba um 64 uh kaneto shindo uh, the director um this is like both a historical drama and like a horror film of sorts. It has a sort of haunted element to it, but uh, the the essential plot uh, revolves around these two women who rob a samurai, kill a samurai, then rob him <laughs> in that order, um, uh, sell his stuff off uh, for uh, food, um, and. Uh, Essentially, our living lives is like bandits of sorts, and then a man comes between them. Um, mm. Suffice to say, um, and other things go on from there. Eventually, there's a masked samurai that gets involved, and the mask itself is seems quite iconic. And I believe, as I've read, uh, Friedkin's thoughts for Pazutsu's design is based on this mask. Really? Aha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but then there's things going on with the the masked character and where it goes from there. I don't want to like get too far into it because I think it's just too interesting to not watch to figure out for mm-hmm. yourself. But um something I re- this is black and white film. 64 but still black and white. And something I really liked about the film is the is the how well the how well the cinematography works in it. It it very much plays if I think dark and shadows uh and juxtaposes that with you know whatever lightness is going on between you know skin and daytime and what have you. Um, and there's a lot of close-ups that further emphasize uh, emotion of the scene and kind of the texture of it all and everything. There's just a lot of like visual work that I really liked about this film, along with the fact that it's a it's very lurid for a 1964 Japanese hmm. period, period drama. Like there's a lot, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff happening in here that I didn't necessarily expect, and even the horror elements. You can say like you could debate to a degree, I suppose. But I mean, given things that take place, I'd certainly categorize it as horror. I mean, it came up on lists for a reason, as far as its association with horror. Um, but the film, itself, I um, I I quite enjoyed it. it certainly, in when I see other 
like Kaidan's the same year, but when I see when I think of like other kind of historical Japanese films, the there tends to be like a prestige association with it because which is why it gets I think brought to America to begin with. You're not seeing a lot of like schlockier types of films from that era that are dealing with this in this kind of genre. It's something like this, not schlocky, but it certainly has a a grittier feel to it because it's trafficking certain tropes of a genre and has mm-hmm. certain ideas present that you don't see in like, you know, Kurosawa films or Ozu films. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not that kind of thing. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a, if it's a, it's a different sort of feeling than I expected from a film like this, but it's certainly effective as well. I really liked the film and it's very watchable to say the least, as far as just the way it's presenting stuff at you. But uh, Mike, I'm curious what your, your thoughts are on, on above I love it. <clears throat> I think it's one of the greatest Japanese films ever made. Oh, there you go. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of a it's one of the more famous films out of a spate of um, films that kind of came out in the '60s in what's kind of called the new wave in Japan. Hmm. Sort of young filmmakers, and and a lot of these films are drawing on a really heavy use of metaphor, and so it's kind of common knowledge. I mean, people generally interpret that some of the imagery in this film directly references the burn victims of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Okay. Yeah, okay. So there's an so it is a historical drama but there's also an allegorical dimension pertaining to like war and trauma yeah. that people associate with this film as well. So it's just it's kind of a just kind of a rich text, you know. It's also yeah. like really erotic and and spooky and weird and Yeah, it has <laughs> it's another 10 years and change before we get to Hozu but like yeah, there's certainly like stuff going on here which is what I was trying to say like it's just it it it's providing a lot of stuff in there that I just don't generally associate with this era of Japanese filmmaking, at least from my perspective, as far as what I'm seeing, used to seeing. Um, yeah, like and it, and yeah, I it was rather affecting. I, I'm, I'm I, it was it's neat to hear you say that it's one of your favorite Japanese films of all time. Like it, it's you know, having just watched it for the first time and very recently, I've only had so much time to like kind of you know mill it over or what have you. But it was, it's 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 stuck in there for sure. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. Check out another one by this director. It's made around the same time called Kuroneko, okay. which translates to the Black Cat. It's also kind oh, of oh yeah, old. okay yeah, I've heard of yeah, I heard of that one. That's that's another one that's similar. It's a historical kind of spirits and ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. cool. Um, who still has one, Brandon? Do you still have a film? I mean, I can bring up one that uh, came to mind in a sort of a different way. Uh, that not sure whether like i saw it once back around when it came out but uh tokyo gore police yeah which basically is just kind of showcasing that they throw in major horror elements into something that maybe wasn't horror to kind of begin with because this one you know it's called tokyo gore police so it's obviously going to live up to that name it also has a lot to do with like mutations and body horror um well just like making damage in battle just be as bloody and splattery as possible so like in, in an area where we would call splat stick i would think they have their own version of that uh not necessarily splat stick but just sure. it's it's i don't know it's got a different way to it like to some person it's just blood splattering everywhere but they have a way of it that i feel is different than like a sam raimi doing a splat stick or something over here but that um uh i remember yeah i remember i was, I was just like it was a cool movie uh movie title had a trailer and i remember watching it and thinking like in terms of the gore and stuff it kind of delivered i can't remember whether i I cared much for the movie or not i was probably 
I'm probably eh on it if I'm not remembering too well, but that's one that's kind of a thing that they do that we don't do a lot of over here. Sure. Something like that. If anything, it draws from like the Grand Guignol traditions of Italian cinema. I feel yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's what I did see with my uncle. <laughs> he had me a, <laughs> a, a DVD of it. And I, oh, okay. I, I watched it with him. He did try to trick me with that. Police, the star of Tokyo Gore Police is the gal from Audition. So maybe your uncle just had a thing for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what he's doing. Um, Speaking of uh, films clearly in- influenced by uh, Tetsuo, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Oh, okay. oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Mike, you have any more? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I feel like we're missing a really obvious one, but it's got to be Aaron's number five. Oh, we've gone through mine because I, well, I might have it in my alternates, but what, what, is, what are you thinking of? Are you really not going to cover Godzilla? I mean, because we have a fucking, <laughs> we have a fucking commentary on. We Godzilla. talk about it every year. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not, <laughs> okay. but it is, I, it is a, uh... it, it is in my alt as far. Like I have. I, I'll say this. I, I I I was trying to not specifically talk about Godzilla, but we can. I'm happy to. But like I was trying to think of like Godzilla movies that were actually scary. And Godzilla obviously is reflecting a very immediate time given when it came out and what it's going after and the fact that it's taking it seriously compared to many of the other ones. But between that, Shin Godzilla is also true. I mean, it, it, it it's bringing both Lovecraftian elements as well as current events is revolving around uh, the nuclear, you know, um, explosion what have you and then mm-hmm. like gmk uh godzilla mothra and king Ghidorah, all monster all out monster attack um that one has like a very scary portrayal of godzilla so like there's certainly ones that like use it as a you know not just a a monster that's a friend to all children but something that's a destructive force of chaos that uh, right, people, right. you know japan, japan japan has a clear freedom from but yes shiro honda's godzilla he's very much a a horror film um that you know, launched a genre and everything so sure yeah I, I, th- I thought about bringing it up i'm like well aaron's gonna eventually bring it up right i'm a guest in his house i don't want to like step on i actually here. almost thought mm-hmm. that you were too aaron i i figured you thought i figured you guys might jump on it because like it's too obvious for me <laughs> i mean he like, did he did bring up biolante so there was that i i am wearing godzilla on my shirt right now. <laughs> there you go is that what it is tonight whatever nerd um uh, so godzilla is not my fifth choice but before we leave it i had a quick question for for all of you but for aaron have you seen so Honda is best known for Godzilla for good reason after all. I mean, he all but invented the kaiju genre, but he actually did a wider range of films. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you've seen any of his like human experimentation I've, films. Well, the yeah. other film that I had as my alternate that I was going to bring up because we already talked about Perfect Blue was the H Man. Um oh, okay. Which is this it's another like radiation-based monster movie, essentially. It's just much smaller mm-hmm. scale than Godzilla, and it has like a kind of a it kind of takes place from the perspective of like the detectives um, yeah. pursuing this case of like people melting essentially. Um, and then I've, I've seen, I've seen the battle for outer space. Is uh, H-Man, he's got a couple. There's one called human vapor, I think. Yeah. So is H-Man the one where the they're liquid mutants or gas mutants? Gas. <laughs> it's one or the other. It's and then the third one is Matango, which is like mushroom mutants. Yeah. Oh, it's like a running the gamut here. Yeah. I, I I I'm happy to engage with with more Honda stuff as I discover it and as it's released more and more. Um, they won't put fucking gargantuas on Blu-ray for some reason, but that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's my official number five. Sure. sure. 1999, 
directed by Tetsuro Takeuchi. It's called Wild Zero. Okay, yeah, I heard of this one. Yeah, Aaron knows I'm a big fan of just like trashy exploitation cinema. And so <laughs> this, is a, this is a really low budget midnight movie type of uh, of trash movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a guy who idolizes this punk rock act, and he just just you know wants to emulate their look and and adopt the rock and roll style. And the band is headed to one of their gigs in a different city or something when there's a zombie outbreak instigated by this like alien mothership. And our hero falls in love with a girl at a gas station who he rescues. And I mean, the film isn't about any of this. This is just a bunch <laughs> of it's it's, it's yeah. full of this punk rock energy. It's it's completely uh, off the wall. And it features a real rock band playing themselves. Oh, it's cool. Good. Oh, okay. And called Guitar Wolf. Um, good name yeah, and they, they play the, the roles so it's it's like super micro budget really gonzo wall to wall and it's mm-hmm. just uh, yeah it's this neat little cult movie that uh that i know people kind of remember fondly okay well it looks zero. like uh synapse films has the right to it the rights to it in the u.s because it's streaming nowhere and mm-hmm. i looked up the for a blu-ray release but it looks like they have the rights, so it could be forever before that sees the light of day. Or they're secretly working on a 4K right now. Yeah, there, <laughs> there is a German uh, Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. That's what they have, but uh, it well, only has German subtitles. Well, I guess to conclude this thing, I can talk about Godzilla for a second. I mean, it's Godzilla. Oh, and we're done. It's a it's a land it's a landmark film. But yes, we've done a whole commentary on Godzilla. So I mean, and I've guessed it on Brandon's show to talk about Godzilla mm-hmm. various times. And Brandon has a whole thing going on on the Brandon Peter show about or on sorry on Cult Cinema Cavalcade uh, about about Godzilla. Uh, but when you're taking it, when you're literally creating a new way to approach such a tragedy for a specific country like mm-hmm. yeah it's a defining film in so many different ways and it and it became even more than that obviously than just a you know a symbol of tragedy or nuclear paranoia or what have you because it became this iconic monster that kids love um and you know that that goes beyond itself as far as like the sequels and everything you know all the other you know entries into this franchise but the original godzilla i mean the thing we've talked about this plenty, but like the thing that always hits, I think, as far as people discovering the first film compared to, you know, the the eventual brand of the film that it would become is that it's such a sober, sobering drama, like and such a mm-hmm. stark, very bleak film that's depicting people that are just suffering from this thing, this thing that they cannot stop, that they had no warning of. And, you know, as appealing as it is to see this giant creation stomping through cities of Tokyo, I, I, I'm I always curious, like, what it's like for a 1954 audience to sit in a theater and watch this thing happen. And I can't imagine that being, you know, as fun as one might think it might be just by nature of it being like, oh, we have our own King Kong there. We have our own beasts of, of 20,000 fathoms. We have our own version of that. It's like, well, this is reflecting something that uh, I imagine many people have connection to and so in a variety of different ways. And so it's, it's a very effective film for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, along with being incredibly well-made. I mean, it's, you know, you can, I feel like there's a reason the suit nation, which is how they refer to like the, the version of, 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 of acting out the monster sequences. There's a reason why I think that's stuck around when it comes to Toho's version of Godzilla. Like even now with Shin Godzilla and this upcoming one, minus zero that, 
looks you know it's using cg but it's still like Mm-hmm. it's still a, it's still making it feel like the classic Godzilla films in terms of how it moves and what have you and I feel there's some there's a certain kind of appeal there that was just created like from nothing uh, at the time they didn't you know they didn't have a template for how to make this kind of movie and they didn't have they didn't have stop mo- like stop motion was just not a thing that they really knew how to work with by comparison to like you know Hollywood and so you know just getting a guy in a giant rubber suit it works in that film. There is they and they create all these you know, those elaborate models and everything to make these cities come to life and all this stuff. Like there's a lot of good effort going there, and you have a, you have great actors uh, working there. You have some Kurosawa regulars popping up in Honda's film to give these scientist roles and these official roles like more authority. Like it's it is a very good movie, and I certainly have opinions about the various Godzilla movies and ones that stick out more or not. And you can lump some of them in you know a a, a lesser tier. But that first Godzilla is a classic, and for good reason. And it's it's iconic both for the fact that it's a monster movie, but also that it's reflecting a very specific time, and it has something to say about that. So, mm-hmm. those are my two cents on Godzilla for today. Yeah. All right. When I show Godzilla to people, like for instance, university students, they it's easy to appreciate and enjoy as like you know, it's a man in a rubber suit, smashy, smashy. So there's a there's a certain campiness to it and a charm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people really find themselves surprised by is you're right, just how somber it is, right? And so yeah. what always struck me upon every rewatch of the original version is when Godzilla stomps his way through, it's the next morning when all the children are testing positive for radiation because Godzilla's leaving like irradiated air everywhere. Right. Um, and like, yeah, just hospitals filled with children who are now all testing positive for radiation. Like those yeah. are the scenes that like do not make it into the american like yeah. raymond edit you know mm-hmm. yeah it's a really kind of finger pointy film in terms of like look at what's happened to us like the 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 doomsday device at the end is the oxygen destroyer which is a suspiciously western sounding name for yes <laughs> like it's all very uh unmistakable right and it's yeah. just yeah it's remarkable well let's leave it there i know we've gone on for quite a bit about japanese horror films because it's it's a large uh <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a large area of study um but I, I was happy to engage with all of you about you know these various films or what have you and with all of that said I, I, yeah let's we can stop so um yeah that's gonna do it for this bonus episode of out now if there are any you can find more of my work on my personal wall at the everything i do ends up over there i write for leave entertainment and wise i'm on twitter aaron's ps4 abe i'm trying to reference for my instagram abe.more and twitter.com slash hashtag that's a godzilla noise thank you screonk is our oh. is the onomatopoeia we associate with this which is ah. worse. <laughs> it's that's how it's written in comics. It's great. Screonk. Screonk. <laughs> uh, Brandon Peters, where can people find more of you? Uh social media at Brandon4KUHD, uh written work com, the Brandon Peters Show.com, and anywhere podcasts are found and a YouTube channel. Uh right now, um I've got the I believe it's the Geraldo special. Uh, the products of the panic episode with Troy Brownfield and then coming up uh, doing a special on the Firefly trilogy and the Night of the Demons movies and I believe so this is dropping uh, Friday the 20th probably so I'll be at Doctoberfest uh, this weekend uh, doing a lot of fun stuff great with podcasts all right Mike Dillon anything you like to plug um people can go check out my book no, Which suddenly, is, no, after all these years know? of podcasting, suddenly there's a book to play. I, I was expecting somebody to say, no. <laughs> I mean, 
enough about movies for a second. Like, pick up a goddamn book. <laughs> uh, it's called True. it's called Exploiting East Asian Cinema. Oh, you put a picture of yourself on the cover. <laughs> uh, edited by myself and my partner Ken Proventure. Um, awesome. Not, what's not what, about what's that title again? Since I immediately threw everything off track, what is it called? Sorry. It's called Exploiting East Asian Cinemas. Genre, Circulation, and Reception by Bloomsbury, wherever books are sold. Okay. It's not exclusively about horror, but there's a lot of horror in it, including All Monsters Attack and stuff like that. So, oh, Very cool. Great. Yeah. All right. Um, you can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. There's we're everywhere. On, everywhere. We're on all the socials. Um, and feel free to please leave us an iTunes Beards rating, especially when we do all these special fun horror episodes. I, I like to think it draws in a lot of uh, attention. And I'd like to think if you like that, please say so. Say so online. Pump us up in the iTunes charts um, because we want to be the kings of Fogtober. That's that's what I told you. <laughs> um, <so. laughs> thank you so much in advance. Yes. With all that in mind, Brandon Peters, Mike Dillon, thank you both for joining us to discuss you, Brandon, Japanese horror. Hey, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. Next week, we'll be concluding our international tour for this year with Spain. We're going for Spanish horror. Spain! Uh, España. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, and, of course, we're wrapping up the month of our commentary for The Exorcist, uh, William Friedkin's film. Um, but, yeah, Spanish horror is our next venture. Uh, but that's going to do it for this uh, bonus episode. So, until next time, so long. And goodbye. Adios. Adios.